This week on Geek Explained, special guest Matt Draper returns to the podcast to chat about our favorite one and two part comics featuring the amazing Spider Man. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about Spider-Man. There's a lot of Spidey news going on, both in the world of film and of comic books, and so I figured it would be a good time to chat about some Spider-Man one- and two-part comics. We're talking about one-shots, we're talking about two-parters, and joining me is a very special guest, a returning guest, a very good brother and longtime friend of the podcast, Matt Draper is dropping by from the comic tube slash zilla tube community uh to talk about some really great spider-man stories i can't wait to share the discussion we had with you we had a ton of fun talking about spider-man talking about marvel comics talking about wrestling because you know when you put me and matt draper together we can't go even five seconds without mentioning something about wrestling. So uh, tune in for that for this week's episode. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I talk to you about all the comics you should be picking up this week. And oh boy, do we have a lot of comics to talk about. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Going to kick things off with a quick piece of miscellaneous news that you know I just had to mention. Uh, This past week was the uh, second episode of AEW Rampage on TNT. If you are a non-wrestling fan, this is going to mean nothing to you. But to me, we saw the return of CM Punk, not just to AEW debuting in the company for the first time but his seven year absence from the pro wrestling business concluding there in Chicago in his hometown it was a hell of a moment I got very emotional I uh it was just a wonderful moment. It really, really was. Uh, we talk about it a little bit in the uh, in the main segment of this week. You know that we can't go a minute without talking about uh, pro wrestling between me and Matt Draper. But it was a great moment. I was buzzing even into the next day. It was just fantastic. Uh, we're going to hop over to TV news, two pieces of Netflix news. First off, we finally, after three years, got our first look and a premiere date for the Netflix live adaptation of Cowboy Bebop. The John Cho-led series is going to be debuting on November 19th of 2021, just a couple months away, and I'm stoked. The, uh, the photos that we got look fantastic. We see Spike, we see Jet, we see Faye, we even got to see Ayn. So I am 
very excited about this. Uh, Netflix adaptations, especially when you're talking about anime adaptations, have been kind of hit or miss lately. But I'm, or just in general, I guess not even lately. But I'm hoping that it leans more towards a Witcher and less to like a Death Note. But it looks great to me. John Cho looks incredible as Spike. I will absolutely watch this. Cannot wait to check this out. And they also announced the main cast for the Avatar The Last Airbender adaptation. Uh, let me pull up the article here. So uh, they released the names of the four of kind of your four main cast uh, for at least this first season. And they have I don't recognize any of these actors, to be honest. So if you recognize these names, feel free to let me know. Uh, first off, we have Dallas Liu as Zuko. We have Ian Owsley. I, I'm just going to say as a blanket statement, if I mispronounce these names, I apologize. Uh, but we have Ian Owsley as Sokka. We oh man, this is gonna be bad. Uh, we have Kiwa Kia Wentio. I know I said that wrong, and I apologize. Uh, is playing Katara, and we have Gordon Cormier as Ang. Um, I, again, I don't know any of these actors, but they're all actors of color, which is fantastic. It also looks like they're leaning heavily towards the actual or I guess not the actual because I mean the world of Avatar is a fake is a fictional world but at least towards the racial identities that those regions have um, they are gearing towards that when it comes to their casting so I really dig that and I'm looking forward to seeing more from this even though again I'm still very cautious about this adaptation uh, we're going to make a quick pit stop in comic book news uh, four pieces of comic book news and it looks like they're all Marvel news uh, first off a couple uh, announcements for some minis that dropped this past week first off we are getting a kate bishop hawkeye five issue miniseries by oh man uh by marieke nishkamp and enid balam i'm sorry uh but it looks like the premise of this is that kate is following a uh following a lead on a case that she's working leads her back to new york so she's getting to deal with all the stuff coming from the west coast back to the east coast you know how much i love murder mysteries how much i love detective stories and kate bishop is a very unique character in that she's able to play some of the more rough and tumble uh roles like we would see in uh hawkeye while also getting to dive into detective work like we would see in matt fraction's hawkeye um I'm really into this. I like Kate Bishop as a character. And of course, this coming out, I think it said in November, kind of lends credence to the idea that uh, the Hawkeye series might be dropping in November. But we will just have to see. Uh, also, I believe in November, we are getting a six-issue miniseries for the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. Ben Grimm is getting a six-issue mini by Walter Mosley and Tim or Tom Riley. I love Riley's art. Love it so, so, so much. Um, if you want to grab a book that I absolutely adored that had him in it, it's just a single issue, The Marvel Snapshots X-Men that featured an origin story of sorts for Cyclops. One of my favorite Cyclops stories. It's awesome. Tom Riley rules, and so does The Thing. I'm not super familiar familiar with Walter Mosley as a creator, but I'm sure that he's going to do gangbusters with this story. Everybody loves the thing. You just, how can you not? 
how can you not love Ben Grimm? So I'm looking forward to this one for sure. Uh, we also got uh, two big pieces of news on uh, exits, possibly, of the Marvel Comics variety. First off, we found out that Jonathan Hickman, the architect of this current X-Men run, the man who put everything together to get this new House of X, Powers of Ten ball rolling, is going to be leaving the X-Men corner of Marvel following his event Inferno. Um, He's said in interviews that initially when he pitched the uh, status quo change coming out of House of X Powers of Ten that it was going to be a three-act structure, and as he started to lean towards you know, getting the ball rolling for Act 2. Apparently, the rest of the team that he had assembled wanted to stay in Act 1. And I don't know if that means there was a mutiny. I don't know if that means that, you know, Hickman was voted out or whether he was just like, okay, look, um, I set up the status quo. You guys want to do this? Like, cool. But just know that that means I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be leaving early and jumping off early. Uh, I don't know what this means. Um... Uh, The uh, Comic Book Herald on Twitter kind of summed it up in a way that I couldn't really explain until uh, he put it up there. It's like, this is what it feels like when Jordan left the Bulls the first time, when he had his stint with... uh, with baseball following, you know, getting their third ring, the death of his father. Um, This kind of feels very similar in that vein. Um, You know that the books will still do well because of the team that he's left behind, but there's going to be, it's going to feel a little less special. And I am hoping that this is a temporary thing that he eventually does come back to finish the story that he started, but I am curious I'm very curious as to how uh, this affects Inferno, how it concludes, how it might affect um, Trial of Magneto. Uh, The X-Men have a lot of plates spinning right now. There's a lot going on in that corner of the Marvel Universe, and I am very curious as to how they wrap things up with Hickman to allow him to kind of jump off and continue the books going. And then we also got the news that also in November, the Zadarsky Chiquetto Daredevil run, as we know it, is going to be ending in November with Daredevil number 36. Now there are rumors that Once this issue drops, the very next issue is going to be a brand new series featuring Zdarsky, Chiquetto, or or a combination of the two uh, called Daredevils, plural, with both Elektra and Matt. But we don't know for sure. We don't know anything. We just know that there is going to be a big old bombastic conclusion uh, with issue number 36 and the future of Matt Murdock and Elektra Nachos as the dual daredevils hangs in the balance. So I'm interested to see where they go next. I really hope this isn't the end of their run. I would love to see them go to at least 50 issues, if not beyond. Um, But I do understand that that, you know, time moves forward. So we'll just have to wait and see what they end up doing. And then we're going to wrap things up with film news. A lot of film news this week. Uh, First off, a sad piece of news, question mark. Um, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. We talked about last week how the film had been delayed from its September release date to an October release date. Well, it looks like it's been delayed again. Venom, Let There Be Carnage has been delayed from October to January 21st of 2022. Um, 
yeah, this is kind of baffling. I don't know why they would delay it again. Um, if I, I, I really don't. I really don't know what would make them delay it again after they had already delayed it once. Uh, I get that maybe it's like, oh, you know, the Spider-Man, we're going to talk about it later, uh, is dropping in December, so we want this to be the next you know, story beat from that, but that would have to basically give up the goat that they're connected. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I know that October, I mean, this whole fall slash winter season is going to be packed with movie releases. And so I understand that they kind of want a piece kind of for themselves, but at the same time, it's kind of baffling. They already had, you know, Venom getting released in October just makes sense to me. So I don't know why they made the choice, but Who knows? Either way, it's going to be dropping in January. We also got some really exciting news in that we are officially getting a Black Canary film. Uh... It's they're both good news and bad news. Good news is that this film is in production. Journey Smollett will be returning as Dinah Lance, and she is co-developing it with Misha Green, uh, who was kind of one of the driving forces behind Lovecraft County, which is phenomenal, and you should go watch it. It's wonderful. Uh, but the two of them are joining up together. Misha Green's going to be writing the script and developing it, while Journey Smollett's going to be helping her to develop it. We know how much love Smollett has for that. Dinah Lance character and so I'm very excited the only thing that's not great about this is that the film is being exclusively released on HBO Max so there is a narrative forming a very loose narrative right now but there is a small narrative forming that all of the POC-led DC properties are being kind of shunted away from theaters onto HBO Max. Uh, the Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle, the um, Barbara Gordon Batgirl. We don't really know if there's like an agenda here. We don't know if it's, you know being planned this way but it is a little disheartening because you know how much an audience wants how much how much of an audience there is for these characters and for these films and so it kind of it feels weird thinking about like oh we're gonna have all of our you know our you know caucasian led films in theaters and all of our poc led films on hbo max i don't know i don't know i'm not you know throwing stones just yet but I would be interested to know if this is actually like a plan or if it's just like a strange coincidence. Uh, now we're going to wrap things up with four, count them, four pieces of MCU news. Uh, first off, Anthony Mackie, Sam Wilson, Captain America himself, has officially inked a deal for Captain America 4. Uh, we kind of knew this was going to happen, but it's great to get official confirmation. Uh, this past week, he finalized his deal for that film. It is moving forward. We do still have... All of those creative uh, creative minds behind uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier attached to this, so I'm very excited. Can't wait to get more info on this. We also got the announcement that Dominique Thorne's Riri Williams' Ironheart will be debuting in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which means, ladies and gentlemen, we might be replacing the science bros with the science sisters. Shuri and Riri, having them together would be fun as hell. Um, they haven't really had a whole lot of interaction in the comics, so this would be an opportunity to kind of put them together, um, and have them be the foremost, you know, technological and, 
mechanical minds in the MCU acting together. I think that's very cool. Uh, we do know that the Ironheart series is still kind of in the works, that Don Cheadle might be reprising his role as uh, Rhodey for that, following the conclusion of Armor Wars. That's still really far out, but... I'm excited that we're going to be able to meet her officially in Black Panther Wakanda forever. We also got a final trailer for The Eternals, which looked fine. Um, I'm not, I'm, I've never been a huge Eternals guy. I've always just kind of seen them as like, oh, these are the low rent new gods. Got it. But I'm interested. The cast is stellar. The uh, filmmaking, I mean, Chloe Zhao is an Oscar-winning director. She obviously has a vision for this, and it feels like a separate thing from the MCU. It feels different. I know it's connected, but having it feel like a separate thing while watching it uh, is going to endear it a lot, at least to me as a viewer. So I'm interested to see what it you know, what it ends up being, but I'm not super hyped for it. And then, and then, the biggest news of the week, the news that we had all been waiting for, and strangely enough, is incredibly well-timed for this week's episode, which was a happy accident. Um, The Spider-Man No Way Home trailer finally dropped, the first of, I'm sure, a few trailers uh, that will will get progressively more spoilery as they go. Um, It looks good. I don't... ah, It's weird, okay? It's weird, because I wanted to be really hyped up for it. I said over this past week as well that, on Twitter, uh, that I was getting frustrated with fans who were like, you know, screw Shang-Chi, screw Eternals, all this stuff. We just want the Spider-Man trailer. And it's like, look, Shang-Chi is an incredible achievement, and Shang-Chi is a big deal, and it needs to be treated like a big deal. And you guys are kind of shitting on it because you just want a trailer for a movie you know you're already going to see. So I was a little, like, lukewarm to the... uh, to the trailer in general, you know, knowing that it was coming, there was leaks this past weekend with CinemaCon going on, but when the trailer came up, it was good, it was good, it wasn't, it didn't blow me away, I didn't think it was like, oh my god, this is amazing, but I like the ideas that it presented, uh, looks like we're getting actual consequences for Peter being, or for Peter having his identity exposed to the world. Um, There's a great little moment where they called back to classic Spider-Man, where there's this shot of Peter Parker with half of his face covered by the Spidey mask. I dig that. Um, And it looks like he's essentially being hunted by uh, lots of people um, in regards to him being Spider-Man, him being framed for Mysterio's murder, yada, yada, yada. So he goes to meet with Doctor Strange, and he goes to meet with Stephen Strange to try and rid the world of his identity. It's very one more day. Um, So that is a book that a lot of people are going to be reading for the first time, getting into... uh, getting into putting this together and really kind of doing your reading for this. And I will do a comics catch up for this film as we get closer to it. But, um, and this kind of results in, you know, the multiverse kind of breaking open and the real money shot of it was the ending on this bridge where we see a pumpkin bomb, but not any pumpkin bomb. We see a Raimi Spider-Man pumpkin bomb, and then we get the tentacles and the reveal of Alfred Molina as Doc Ock saying, hello, Peter. Um, 
yeah, so multiverse is a thing, Spider-Verse is a thing, this is officially a Spider-Verse film. Uh, we got leaks here and there, I'm not going to tell you where to get them, because I keep running across them by accident, which, as someone who has always been fairly sensitive to spoilers, was a little upsetting, but... Uh, Toby and Andrew will be coming back for this, whether it's for a little bit part, which I don't think it will be, or for a more substantial role, which I think is going to be the case. But this is going to be a big thing. This is going to be a big film, uh, possibly introducing a multiversal event or a multiversal Sinister Six, which sounds really cool. And I think I'll get more excited for it when it comes closer. But all of my hype and all of my energy is put towards Shang-Chi right now. So you can't tell me anything. I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, for what it's worth, the trailer did look good. I am hoping that this kind of transitions Tom's next saga, next trilogy, into him being more closely um, uh, closely portrayed to his comic book counterpart than the weird. And I know I'm going to get flack for saying this, the weird, like, Iron Boy Jr. deal. I want a struggling Peter Parker who has to deal with his dual identity and is not super financially stable. That's just me. That's my preferred Spider-Man. I know that that's not for everybody. A lot of people love the MCU Spider-Man, which is great. I'm not knocking you or knocking that version of Spider-Man. It's just not, you know, I, I think that version of Spider-Man and that portrayal has kind of run its course. So I'm hoping to get more of a, um, not so much traditional, but like more of an empathetic Spider-Man. Because it's hard to be empathetic for a kid who has everything, you know? So I'm hoping that we get some big status quo changes following this. Um, I would love to get a new supporting cast in. We've had the same supporting cast for three films. And if Tom is going to keep going on with this Spider-Man character, I think getting a new supporting cast would do him a world of good. But I am interested. I'm interested. I think the trailer looked good. There wasn't enough there to spoil anything. Um, and I'm sure that the trailers are going to do that for me. But... Overall, uh, solid thumbs up. It was a good trailer. Nothing mind-blowing. I am looking forward to seeing the actual film. But that is going to wrap up this week's news. And speaking of Spider-Man, that is going to transition us over to our main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, of this week's episode, which is a spirited, giant-sized discussion featuring returning guest Matt Draper as we chat about our favorite Spider-Man one-shot and two-part comics. As we close out August here, I am feeling like talking about Spider-Man. I know if I was a little bit more, uh, if I was a little better at timing, we know that Far From Home is coming out later, or not Far From Home, No Way Home is coming out this year. Uh, we have the end of the Nick Spencer run coming, and I probably should have timed this out for that, but when you get bit by the spider bug you just gotta you just gotta talk about it and 
In this week's episode, I really wanted to talk about best Spidey one-shots. And to talk about this, I recruited uh, forcibly against his will my one of my <laughs> favorite guests on the podcast, that being comic tube extraordinaire, Zilla tube extraordinaire, the king of Zilla style himself, <laughs> Matt Draper. Matt, how are you, man? I'm great, Eric. Thank you for having me. I agree. I, too, am one of your favorite guests on the show. Uh, so happy to be back. Uh, so anyway, let's talk about professional wrestling. Yeah. Uh, so I the the big feedback that I got mm, was everyone really more. loved the 15-minute tangent that we went on. <laughs> so I really want to spend this episode talking about the parallels between Vince McMahon and J. Jonah Jameson. I could see and it. How, mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I would love to see him with the little mustache, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be wild. I'd love to see that. That would be horrifying <laughs> in all the right ways. I mean, you know, you're talking about all the, the horrible things in store for Spider-Man, like No Way Home and the more Nick Spencer Spider-Man. Although I guess, <laughs> I guess our, our long national nightmare is coming to an end in that case. But, uh you know, you know, it, it's all right. You don't have to wait for that. You don't have to wait for that. <laughs> most important well, thing, the most important thing, I'll let you finish that thought in just a second is that at the time of this recording, it hasn't happened yet, but when it comes out, it will have already happened, which is hopefully the return of CM Punk. The return AEW. of CM Punk and the re-debut of Brian Danielson are on the way. I know, I'm excited. I'm, so that's all I can think about. Yeah, we're like, as we're, as we're recording this, like, all right, this is now a Brian Danielson CM Punk episode. Yeah, so okay, as we're, um, as we're recording this, we're like two days away from the second mm -hmm. uh, episode of Rampage. Mm -hmm. And it's been like heavily rumored <laughs> that CM Punk is going to be here. It's in Chicago. They're they're calling it the first dance. Like, yeah, did you see through the roof? This just this just happened. I was looking online, but on Dynamite right now, uh, Kenny Omega was wearing a shirt that said Chick Magnet. Yeah, of course he it. was. And oh, I was like, OK. God. Come on, like how many, they're, how many they're, they're not being poke? shy about this. They're just like, oh, poke, 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 poke. Man, if you, but it's, there's just a little part of it. It's like, if he doesn't show up, like it's like the greatest troll oh my ever. God. It's going to be bad. They'll like, burn that, they'll burn that stadium down. Absolutely. Can you imagine like they play his music and Kenny Omega comes out? <laughs> like, can you imagine? That would be Col wild. Cole Cabana comes out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall for that first locker room meeting again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, that has been a whole. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so I'm glad that you all tuned in for this wrestling episode. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, wrestling is a big part of Spider-Man's origins. So I really wanted oh, to start off this episode the same way that his career started off mm -hmm. with wrestling. With wrestling, and <laughs> that's one of the problems with MCU Spider-Man. And there's no if, wrestling. There's no part. wrestling. He didn't mm -hmm. go up against Randy Savage. There was no mm. bone saw match. Like there's no Crusher Creel. No Crusher Creel. I just th that's really what's been missing from that whole MCU Spider-Man experiment. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad I, we got it sorted out. All these yeah, other all these videos about oh Tony Stark and oh you know he's too dependent on the Avengers. Blah blah. blah. It's like no 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 no. It's the wrestling. Res it's wrestling. It's always wrestling. We just need to see Peter suplex a guy. Like once oh you do God. that, like. Which makes me think of another, here's another tangent, which is Daniel Warren Johnson's Beta yes. Ray Bill miniseries. Yes. Which is filled with pro wrestling moves. So Amazing. good. Every time I read that 
every time like something popped up, I thought of you and Owen because like you're the only guys that I can talk wrestling with. And I'm like, yes. Oh, they got to be loving this. Doing the uh, the made in Japan uh, suplex at the very end onto oh the spire. God, onto the spire. I couldn't uh, believe it. Like it's insane. it's too good. It's too good. Hold but, on. I think I, I, got, I think I have to turn my phone off silent. I think I heard something. So while Matt's doing that, I'm going to vamp basically talking about uh, the effect and the impact of Spider-Man, because what a lot of people don't recognize is that Spider-Man has a very similar relationship to New York in the way that Phil Brooks, also known as CM Punk, has to Chicago. <laughs> yes. They're equally as hometown important. heroes. They really are. And it's anytime that Spider-Man shows up in a New York venue, he gets the same more or less the same uh the same reception yeah right chanting people his chant, name people chant cm punk at him <laughs> that'd be amazing that'd be amazing um oh but that 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 beta ray bill miniseries was so great it's oh so my good. gosh it's at so the good. start at the start of that miniseries i was like hey this kind of this is kind of rad and like oh, for sure but then by the end, I'm like, oh, my God, like, this is amazing. Like, all the way through. And the end, no spoilers, such a gut punch. Oh, yeah. Heartbreaking. Oh. Absolutely heartbreaking. Wow. What a miniseries. Wow. DWJ. He's he's my guy. He's Put him on a Spider-Man mini. Let's get yeah. him. Let's, yeah, that would be amazing. Let's get him doing some Spider-Man. That would be that's so how, cool. That's how we get him to do a suplex. Yeah. Oh, he would be, he would be busting out all sorts of like he'd frog be doing, splash. Oh he'd be doing top rope maneuvers right yes he'd be frog splashing he'd be doing shooting star presses red arrows hit maybe. a 630 on him like yeah oh my yeah. gosh oh so i'm glad this is what you all <laughs> tuned in for <laughs> <laughs> i just yeah I, I just want spider-man to hit someone with the rko from out of nowhere from, obviously he, just he would be swinging panel. it would be it would be jonah he'd be swinging in hit <laughs> Jonah with an RKO on the sidewalk and just swing away. <laughs> but wouldn't that be cool? Like, like against a villain, like they're midair battling and he grabs him in the RKO, like five stories up and takes him all the way down. Like, that's I'm just awesome. going to say Daniel Warren Johnson, we're giving you free <laughs> ideas here. Just, I know you listen to this podcast, so if you could just get on that, yeah, uh, um, it'd be really great. Just, I mean, you, you could honestly just do like a, another, like, uh, do like what they uh the black bolt series did by bringing in crusher creel you have mm -hmm, like a whole mm -hmm. thing the two of them pal up mm -hmm. we can have them like uh warrior style get lost in the wrong side of new york and have to fight their way out and it's just <laughs> suplex city everywhere uh, oh man that'd be so amazing that oh would my be gosh. so rad uh <laughs> shoot oh man i really want that now i'm marking out <laughs> <laughs> so um turning back slowly to uh to spider-man here we're talking about spider-man one shots and to kind of set some ground rules here by one shots uh we're not talking about full mini series like the daniel warren johnson series we're not talking about you know 12 issue maxi series we're literally talking about just one to two issue stories that can be completed and you know, beginning and end, they have what they need and they can move on. So we have 10 books to talk about, and I'm really excited to talk about these. But before we get into the books themselves, Matt, I want to know, how were you introduced to Spider-Man? And do you have a favorite Spider-Man story? Mm, that's a great question. Um, 
I'm going to have to ask you the same thing after I'm done, by the way. I'm sure, I'm sure you've said it on the podcast. I'm sure I've heard it at some point. Um, but uh, I guess I was introduced to Spider-Man. I, I, I guess the first thing was the animated series. Like we've talked about this with the other, uh, a lot of other heroes we've done with like X-Men and Batman, which is just that I was like a little kid at the right time when those were all on TV. So Spider-Man came out and I was immediately like hooked with, with that. Um, and then I think I was, I was reading, um, I was, I was starting to read a few Spider-Man comics right away, like pretty, pretty quickly. Just, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really get the ongoing stuff, just grabbing whatever. Um, and so I think it was a real, like one, two super fast kind of thing there. Um, so I was pretty hooked on Spider-Man, like really quickly, like super fast, um, in, as a kid. So, um, but I would say that the first Spider-Man story that I remember reading and really loving um, is actually the first story that we're going to talk about. Ooh. So it was collected in this thing called Spider-Man magazine, which was just this like 100, 120 page thick, like comic book. So familiar? I'm sure they had a few of them back then and it just reprinted older stories. And so our first story was reprinted in it, both, both issues along with a few other stories. Um, like I think, the first Sandman story was in there. Oh, dope. And then like one of the first Morbius stories was in there. It's really random. It was this super random collection. I don't know why they picked the ones they did, but I understand why they picked the main story um, because it rules. Um, so pretty quickly I ended up, you know, getting really into Spider-Man and kids, kids love Spider-Man. There's two they things do. the kid, there's two things the kids love Spider-Man and chains. And it's true. You know, kids love chains. It's true. Uh, <laughs> Just ask Donny Cates or Al Ewing. Or, or, or Todd McFarlane. Or Todd McFarlane, you're right. <laughs> the OG, uh, the original. The original Chains lover. Um, and so, you know, I just picked him up right away. Um, that's my origin. Now, Erica, I want to hear, hear your origin. I, I, maybe, it's, maybe that's my favorite Spider-Man story. It's really hard for me to say. So my, my story uh, starts in a chem lab in Queens, New York. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. No, I I pretty much ran into Spider-Man kind of the same way that you did. I was introduced to him through the animated series. Um, specifically, I remember the very first episode that I saw because it had Mysterio. And it was just, I thought Spider-Man was the coolest dude. And I was like, oh, cool. It's just him and this Mysterio guy. And they just fight each other every episode. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> which is like a lot of cartoons yeah but it was it was really interesting to me like in the same way that batman the animated series and x-men the animated series did like you learn about the rogues gallery you learn about this character his supporting cast and the way that they adapted a lot of those stories from the comics into this animated show were very well done like the the animated show was mm -hmm. the first instance of the spider-verse Yes. Like in and that's comics, movies, whatever. Like it was the first instance. And I kind of fell in love with the character through that. And the first comic that I really uh remember actually picking up was The Clone Saga. Um it was because oh, I Oh boy. 
because I remember watching the the Spider Verse, or I don't even remember the original name of the episode, mm-hmm. but I remember just being smitten with this Scarlet Spider fellow. I was like, <laughs> "That's my guy. He's got a little cut off sleeve hoodie. That's the coolest dude around." And I wanted to get anything that was involving him. And way back when, when I first discovered this character, it was really just just the clone saga oh man and what so, a time <laughs> I, what a time to be alive what a time to be reading comics we also have incredible things going on with x-men comics which we covered in the last last episode <laughs> that we that we did together but um yeah and the the first comic that i really remember um getting into was his run as spider-man as the sensational spider-man with the coolest spider-man costume that i wish he was back in for this new spider-man beyond business that's coming that, that costume's dope i costume's love it super cool uh this one is less cool but i hope that it grows on me yeah yeah it's not bad it's not it's bad, not bad. it's not bad and the uh the gleason art definitely helps for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but yeah. When it comes to my favorite story, and I covered it on the podcast, and it's really, I guess, kind of my first uh, unofficial Geeksplained spotlight was Superior Spider-Man, like as a story. Yeah. Like that is my that is my go-to. It was the first Spider-Man ongoing that I religiously picked up, and I absolutely adore that story, but... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that is 31 issues, so I couldn't include it on here. <laughs> and I'm very bitter about that, but I'm sure another, that... Another time. Another uh, time with perhaps our, our good buddy Dallas. Shout out to him. He's a good dude. Hold on. Did you just mention a different person? Uh, no. I, I mentioned the city of Dallas. Okay. Dallas, Texas. All right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Because the agreement... You know. the, the agreement is when you're on the podcast, there mm-hmm. are no other guests. Mm-hmm. Cut that out of the contract. Cut all this out. This last minute. This, this whole this, this whole bit. This whole bit. None of this must, must reach the light of day. We're just gonna jump to the to the edit where it's like. And so yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit through that hour long break. We edited it it a little <laughs> bit here. Um, I had to go deal with a an emergency, not as a crime fighting vigilante, just of course normal not. things. Of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so let's let's talk about these stories, man, because I'm really excited to dive into these. Some of these I hadn't read in a very long time. Some mm-hmm. of these I was reading for the first time. So oh, nice. Yeah, very, very excited. Let's go ahead and dive into the first one. And is this the one that you alluded to as your first Spider-Man comic? This is the one that I alluded to. It's Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut by Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. from Amazing Spider-Man number 229 and 230. And yeah, this was co- recollected in this Spider-Man magazine, the new cover. And then, you know, they just had the two issues full reprint in there. And uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I loved it. I, I was I read it. I reread it so many times as a kid. Um, it was super compelling to me. And then over the years, I've reread it. Um, but I would say there was like probably a pretty lengthy span of time between like reading it as a kid and rereading it as an adult and rereading it as an adult. I was like, this rules, like this is such an amazing story. <laughs> um, but what's fun going back to a story that you loved as a kid, if it's actually still good, you know, when, uh, <laughs> is um, being able to see it through like um, adult eyes when you can appreciate like the craft more you know, when you're aware of storytelling and you're aware of like art and like the clone saga, 
like the clone saga, you know, we are like, man, how did they come up with Judas Traveler? Like, I just want to know, like what bolt of inspiration led to spider side? Um, oh my God. Spider side. He can make his fist big. Um, <laughs> he's like, he looks like Ben Riley, but with all the edges smoothed off. Um, and uh, so rereading this, which was an actually great story. I've reread it many times. And I guess one of the things that got like I was rereading it for was uh, that I just finished uh, making a video today on, and so I guess it'll be out like on the day this comes out too, um, on Roger Stern's Spider-Man run. Yeah. Uh, overall, covering his run on Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man and on Amazing Spider-Man. And this is sort of, it's often looked at as like the crown jewel of his run. But I mean, I would also put in um, kid who collects spider-man mm -hmm. um which is half an issue which is crazy and then of course all yeah. the hobgoblin stuff which is which is great mm -hmm. um but his vulture stuff is really good too but um so i was rereading for this and um i mean it's not the the story that sparked us talking about doing this episode but it is the story that kind of got me um, focused on um this type of storytelling which is a short story um and there's also a story of spider-man against like incredible physical odds right yeah. um so if you think about um the master planner trilogy which, en which ends with if this be my destiny it's like the first instance of spider-man needing to really like get deep down in his strength and like you know really uh, like just hulk up basically to, to overcome you know he's trapped under all this you know debris and these this machinery and he's like trapped and it's starting to flood and he needs to get out of there and that's the really cool multi-page you know lifting the the machinery off of him which is amazing it's like one of the greatest spider-man moments ever but there's been a lot of stories over the years that sort of take that idea and run with it and there's some that do like basically homage it like specifically like i forget what there's some issue in the in the late 90s where like peter's holding up like an entire like corner of a of a building um yeah and he's holding that up and has to like press it um and there's stuff like that but this is like that but the 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 overwhelming physical obstacle is a guy and it's the juggernaut um the x-men villain kane marco who's empowered by uh the crimson gem of cytorak 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 i've always said Sidorak, but Sidorak. i am terrible <laughs> at pronouncing things and i've made that very clear so who knows um, but basically, you know, he's an unstoppable force, right? When he gets going, you can't stop him. He's got a force field. He's super strong. He'll just walk through buildings like they're paper. Um, and he is sent by Black Tom Cassidy to get Madam Web. Madam Web is this blind, fragile psychic who was created by Denny O'Neill, who was on Spider-Man before Roger Stern, Stern took over. You know, she's kind of this really weird character that pops in and out of Spider-Man all the time. Like, she's really weird, right? Like, this well, is a really like, weird addition to Spider-Man. Well, and, and like, that's a lot of, like, Spider-Man characters that just kind of, yeah. like, pop in and out. Like, I'm, like, rereading this. I was like, oh, yeah, Betty Brandt. Mm -hmm. Like, she just, mm -hmm. like, pops in for, like, this story and then sticks around for a little bit after yeah. this. But, like, yeah, it's it's very... Madam Web's always been weird. But, again, like, Madam <laughs> Web, I was introduced to in the... Uh, in the animated series. So I was like, oh, this is like a mainstay character that's like around all the time. And then you read more Spider-Man and you're like, wait a second. <laughs> wait a minute. 
But when she pops up, it's like, oh, like we're doing mystical, like psychic stuff again. Like, yeah. it's kind of rare, but um, she's more like, a, you know, the, the the sort of the inciting, you know, thing for the whole story. So right. because she's psychic, she sees the juggernaut is coming for her. And she's like, Spider-Man, like you're the only one that can help me. All the heroes are conveniently out, out of New York. Um, but of course, uh, there's fewer um, barking dog. Uh, not my dog. I, know, I know all about that but yeah I, I i think it's really funny when he's like okay so there's like you gotta call the fantastic four you gotta call mm-hmm. the avengers and she's like i've i've connected with them but they are unavailable and like yeah. that's as vague as it gets it's like yeah oh okay cool great yeah thanks guys <laughs> uh so it's like super simple like the first issue is it's five miles juggernaut is walking through manhattan like literally like making a straight line through buildings um to grab her and spider-man needs to stop him and what's great is that um he fails in the first issue yeah yeah which is which is really interesting that he he can't stop him um he does everything electrocutes him smashes him with everything he's got and he just grabs madam webb she collapses because she he's taken her out of her like life support system which looks like a giant web (laughs) um um very convenient. Uh, and um, well, I couldn't just call her Madam Life Support. That would be that would be weird. That would be a little insensitive. I, I feel so, too. <laughs> and then so he leaves. He's like, oh, man, like this lady, like whatever, just like drops her and like leaves. And so the second issue is Spider-Man like out for revenge. Like yeah. he's like, I'm going to stop that guy no matter what. And it's cool because it's it's not just Spider-Man trying to overcome a physical obstacle, but also like motivated by like this guilt and responsibility, of course. And like this sort of like butting of heads. Um, and this, it just escalates. It escalates and escalates and escalates. And he's like shooting like girders, like they're like crossbows at him. Parts. And like when he gets cool. the, the, the wrecking ball and he's like swinging it overhead and he throws him at him and nothing works. He drops a building on him. Um, he uh, and then when he hits him with an exploding gas tank, yeah, um, which is just like this huge explosion. It's cool. You just see like Spider-Man, you know, sort of become more and more desperate, um, which is which is really fun. And then at the very end, he stops him by by like drowning him in wet concrete. Yeah, um, holding on to him as he's, he's just getting pounded by Juggernaut. He's like covered his like face, sinks him in, leaves him there juggernaut can like doesn't need to breathe because at the beginning you see him just like walk the on the the riverbed yeah because he's the best part about is like the entire like both issues are just like at a leisurely stroll like we've seen Mm -hmm. juggernaut run Mm -hmm. and he can once he picks up a head of steam like again nothing can stop him but the entire time he's just like trudging along (laughs) at a normal pace he's like i'm not gonna i'm gonna get there when i get there Exactly. And and it really makes Spider-Man feel, you know, like overwhelmed and uh, underpowered, even though he's, you know, super strong, um, which is a great thing about Spider-Man's like power set is that yeah. he's he is really strong, but he isn't nearly anywhere near like the strongest. You know, there's plenty of heroes and there's plenty of villains that are, are way more powerful than him, which gives him a nice like underdog quality to it all. So I just I adore these two issues um, the pacing is awesome. Uh, Romita's art is is amazing too. Mm-hmm. You know, this is in his early stage where he's kind of still looking like his dad more so. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I just think it's one of those those great summations of who Spider Man is. 
Um, it's not a huge statement on the character, but it's just this really great battle um, that the Stern really, really gets Spider-Man. Like he really, really gets him. Like he understands his personality, his motivations, um, his sense of humor. And like, it just, it really naturally comes out. And I think this is a perfect example of that. Yeah, absolutely agree. This story is one that people look to often when you talk about like just standout Spider-Man stories, not even just like one shots or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you said, I think um, it does speak on the character. It is almost a thesis statement on just how much he is willing to put himself in the line of fire to mm-hmm. help people. And I think it, yes. it kind of harkens back to, and I believe we talked about it back in December, the story where Daredevil goes up against the Hulk. Yes. It's a very yes. similar, like, desperation. Like, at the end of this, like, fight, like, when uh, Spidey is, like, covering Juggernaut's eyes, Juggernaut is ripping his costume <laughs> off, like, yeah. trying to get to him. And he's mm-hmm. just, like, mercilessly beating on this guy. Also, quick shout out to the incredible cover for the second issue. Like, it's oh, just. Yeah little bitty spider-man like basically jumping at this giant angry (laughs) juggernaut face so cool yeah it really kind of sells this idea of like him running up against this unstoppable force Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's just it's really cool the entire way through like you are rooting for spider-man and the more desperate he gets the more you want him to succeed but there's Mm -hmm. literally nothing that he's doing and it's just a very cool story about spidey getting creative his resilience and him trying to stop the unstoppable and it also has this nice little um subplot with the uh with the daily bugle because like liz is just like hey guys i'm back in town and they're like (laughs) all right you have a job (laughs) and there's this other like weird redheaded uh photographer who's taking all of pete's gigs and he seems like kind of a kind of a knucklehead he's a he's a weird little add-on to stern's <laughs> run he's got this like um casual girlfriend they're just kind of hooking up yeah and she wants to make him really jealous so she tries to get with peter um just as mary jane comes back in town it's really strange yeah um yeah and, and i like, think the Aw. the conclusion of the story with him like essentially sinking juggernaut 40 feet down in mm-hmm. wet cement is like it's genius it's like it's literally he had to put him in a like completely immobile state and maybe he could get out of it but it's going to take a very long time to get out of there again it speaks to peter's creativity as a hero trying to think of creative ways to solve a problem and it's just yeah you, you always like rooting for the underdog so yeah yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's super fun. It, really rereadable. I think that's one of the keys to like a lot of these, um, these short stories that we pick too, is like, you can pick them up again and again and again and reread them and like, they never get old. Yeah. Um, Cause some I, of the, yeah, some of the longer stories, like even if they're good, it's kind of a, kind of a chore sometimes. Yeah. And I was, I was really bummed when we, uh, when we made that rule of like, one to two issues max because i'm like master planner song is only three issues master planner song is only three issues damn it but it, i um, know yeah yeah that's the yeah. i'm sorry this is yeah. what we some this is some this stories is did have to be left off and i think it is important to note here that um on our list we do not include 
uh, Kid Who Collects or Spider mm-hmm. Bite. We yeah. told ourselves we we're going to set those aside because they're incredible. Everyone talks about them, and rightfully so, because they're wonderful stories. Mm-hmm. But it is worth taking a look at other stories that might not get as much play. Yeah. So yeah. those stories will be off the board here. We will be... And I feel like I should have done this at the beginning. We will be talking about spoilers for oh, some of these stories. All of them, really. <laughs> but, um, and kind of the format we're looking at is going through them chronologically. So if you wanted yeah. to follow this chronological story, and there is there is a couple uh, issues. There's a specific um, issue on this list that calls back to this story. So, And this is kind of how I read it through was chronologically. So that's kind of cool to, mm-hmm. to see that. So, Matt, let's talk about the second story that we have on the list. Yes. Uh, and, oh, yeah, we picked five each, right? That's yeah. one of the things. And we're just – so we're going to bounce back and forth as they're chronological between us. And the second one is also my uh, one of my picks. Uh, and it is When Cometh the Commuter. Uh, from Amazing Spider-Man number 267 by Peter David and Bob McCloud. Now, before you get into this, I had never read this before. <laughs> I was, I I had heard of it, obviously, but I mm-hmm. never read it before. And I was like, okay, finally, I get the opportunity to read this. Matt swears by this story. It was one of the first ones that he picked. And I am, I'm was super, super excited to actually dive into it. And what did you think? Incredible. <laughs> everything that the first story that you know nothing can stop the juggernaut has in drama this has in just slapstick comedy mm-hmm. it's it's extremely silly it's maybe the silly it's maybe the most purposefully silly spider-man story ever written right yeah. like it's hard to think of a rival because um peter david didn't write a ton of spider-man um he did some peter parker spectacular spider-man like off and on but he did very little amazing Spider-Man. Like he just did a couple like fill-ins. Um, this comes shortly after like Stern left the title and they're kind of like in and out of a lot of different writers. Um, and uh, so this story sees Peter um, on the trail of a robber. Uh, this guy, <laughs> this guy <laughs> takes money he's the from, worst. he's an idiot like he doesn't <laughs> take some money he, he cracks a, a safe in like a de- department store like a clothing store like and he has like a a, a, like a gun, dummy gun. A, he has a lighter that looks like a gun you know <laughs> like cigarettes yeah. and so spider-man sees him in there sees him with the gun and like crashes in and the guy takes a dummy hostage. He takes like an actual like mannequin hostage. And Peter doesn't realize it's a mannequin. He's like, oh no, she's like so scared. She's She's gone stiff. Um, <laughs> like he's it's so stupid. I and love then he gets, the script here. Gets out, gets in the subway. Peter realizes that it's a dummy. He, he puts a spider tracer on him. And like he, he gets away because he gets like held up by the cops for jumping the turnstile. <laughs> um, and so like, it's like, it's the wor- it's the ultimate bad case of Parker Luck, basically, mm-hmm. um, is this entire story. So oh, it's, it's so funny, like the night they compare the two and Peter's yeah. all alone and miserable and this guy's with his wife and like sleeping in and Peter's restless and you see like these two back and forth and it's like, it's like Peter David is like making fun of Spider-Man like immediately. Yeah. Like he's like, He's he's being he's so hard on him like this entire issue because like th- this Peter is like really bad luck doesn't know how to handle himself like 
he's really out of his element kind of a doofus um but it's funny because it doesn't break the character like sometimes like when he gets pushed to be super super comedic where people are making fun of him like it's almost like okay this is kind of like peter's a little bit smart like he's smart he's he's better than this but this is just like really bad run of luck so he follows this guy out to the suburbs so peter's like totally out of his element and he's it's basically him in the suburbs running into a bunch of townies that like are making fun of him all the time and don't know what's going on. Um, and like, it kind of like concludes with this big car chase where he's going after the guy and all the people that he met in the suburb get involved in the chase. And like, there's all these cars and there's pileups and he's jumping all around and like, yeah, he eventually like catches the robber, but it's so like, it's such a case of like all this work for just like grabbing this guy that stole like a few hundred dollars. Um, yeah, it's super funny. Um, so it's kind of like, it made me think of like, it's kind of Marx Brothers-esque. Yes. And, but and, but instead of Spider-Man being like the comedic relief, he's the straight man. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's making fun of him. Um, and everyone thinks he's super weird in the suburbs. It has this, the perfect page when um, he gets to the area and he realizes that there's no buildings to swing from. And he's like, oh, I got to go because he sees this kid on a tricycle and he just shoots, he shoots his webbing up in the air and it goes, zoom, arcs into nothing. And the kid uh, says, do uh, you want to borrow my tricycle? <laughs> and then he jumps into the tree and then the tree breaks and he lands on the sidewalk. And like the like local, like, is he, is he a cop or is he like the, the like, sh- like neighborhood, neighborhood watch, watch dude wants yeah. to arrest him. And then his wife is trying to feel up Spider-Man. Cause she's uh, like super thirsty for him. Yeah, <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's like so stupid. It's super funny. Um, yeah. I, I, I only first read it a couple years ago. Um, Cause it's so random, right? Like yeah. it's not in a bunch of collections or anything all the time, but it has a great reputation. So when, you know, sometimes just for the sake of like completeness or research, I'm like, Oh, I'll look up like best, you know, Spider-Man stories or best, you know, whatever hero sure. stories. And like this one always gets listed as like, why is this like one issue like on there? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, I, I just, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I just like you, I've seen it on multiple lists over the years and I just never like, had a reason to kind of go after it. So I was very curious on how it was going to hold up, but man, like it is, it is one of those like hangover style, like <laughs> slapstick stories. And like the first hangover, the good one the, where, yeah. where like, it's just one bad piece of luck after another. Like, yeah. like you said, like he can't like get around cause it's the suburbs and it feels like he's in an, he's been on alien planets that feel more at home than this. Yeah. (laughs) And like, he's just like, what the hell? Like he jumps on a local bus. He's like, all right, I'm going to follow this. The bus stops and the Mm -hmm. driver's like, you got to pay fare. Yeah. And and he's like, oh, well, I I don't have any pockets. And then the next panel is just the bus driving off and he's just standing there on the sidewalk and he has to walk through like, yeah, I love all of the characters that are in this like all these random people all these random people the guy who's like uh he comes upon these two guys who are uh garbage men and the one guy Mm -hmm. is like hey man you saved my sister from some mugger like one time like jump on and then the other guy's like hey you know my my sister she's uh she's divorced (laughs) she's what are you doing friday night (laughs) (laughs) all of these like wonderfully um 
wonderfully quirky personalities that you could see inhabiting this neighborhood. Like, I want to know more about this neighborhood. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> it's like you said, like at the end, it's just like, it's all for nothing and calling it. I think calling it a high speed chase is being very, very, uh, you're overstating it for what it, it's yeah. this little, like mids, like this, not even like mid-sized sedan, like mm-hmm. slowly going mm-hmm. through this, slowly going through <laughs> this neighborhood and Spidey's chasing it in a cab. Like, yeah, it is, and like you said, like it does a great job in tying everybody together. Cause like you meet the the schmuck and his like super horny wife at the beginning of this. <laughs> and then when he, Spidey like finds the guy and he's chasing him in the car, they drive by them and he's like, ah, oh, you know, he's driving too fast. And just, <laughs> it's very it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, the, um, sort of the comedic repetition of a lot of stuff yeah you know the rule of like threes or sometimes even twos like they're just like he works it really well in the span of one, one issue mm-hmm. peter david is like such an interesting writer like yeah i mean man. obviously he's most well known for his hulk run and his x factor run and those can get really like heady and like serious but they can also get super silly too yeah um and this Especially is just that hulk run yeah and this is just super silly like this is yeah. just okay we're gonna love silly. I love the little conversation that he has with the little girl at the end where she's like, are you living here now? And he's just like, dude, suburbia is too wild for me. Like, yeah, I'm going hand, back to the city. Head on his hands. Yeah. Like, bummed out. Like, what a day. Yeah. I just, I think it's an awesome issue. Um, I, I mean, I think another thing about all the, the issues here that we're covering is it really illustrates like the flexibility of the character, at least yes, in tone. Absolutely. Um, Spider-Man has like a certain lane that he can, he used is usually in, but as far as, but it, the tone can be really, really wide with the character. Right. For like, sure. I just think that, um, you know, you can get really, really dark and serious and tormented Spider-Man, which, I mean, isn't my favorite, obviously. Like, like right. I mean, if you look at the picks that I've chosen, like even the like dramatic ones are more like, <laughs> they're more like um, pulpy dramatic, you know, really like mm-hmm. like high emotion dramatic instead of like um, dark and dark and, and gritty. Yeah, gritty. I, not my thing. Spider Man Rain would not have made it on the <laughs> list if we were if, if it counted um, with the radioactive uh, sperm um, and you know the, sort of stuff. It's the like. Best story ever oh yeah yeah whenever i've seen people online be like oh i really like spider-man rain i'm like huh okay well so we're not going to talk ever again and um i'm gonna steer away from you and your tastes uh but you know this is just like pushing the bounds of uh of comedic silly spider-man um which i think is is just a lot of fun uh it's uh, like it's the type of issue that i would never make like a video on yeah because what do I say about it? Except I would say like, man, this is like, it's like really great. Like it's super funny. Cause he does this and, and you know, that'd be the whole video. Um, well, and it's like, this is like something that is like prime material for like a short or mm-hmm. like, like a little animated short that you play in front of a movie. Like yeah. him just going out to the suburbs and just yeah. seeing like what happens there. Like, well, they, they, and which they, they homage this issue in um, homecoming homecoming. Yeah. Yeah, where he he runs out and he does the web. Oh. He's just like going through the backyards. Yeah. Like that's the best part of the movie. 
Yes, I agree. Uh, which I do like Homecoming um, yes. generally, um, but that was, I think, one of the the big things that stood out to me with that that film in general. And again, For it's sure. it's like smaller stakes Spider Man. Yeah, which is again a thing that does that happens a lot in a lot of these issues. Um, you can't you can't escalate the stakes too high when it's only one or two issues. Um, right. Things can can get serious, but um, the the focus is smaller. And I, sure. I like that. I mean, but that's I kind that's of the appeal. That speaks to the comedy too. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of uh, low stakes comedy, let's go to our mm-hmm. next pick, mm-hmm. uh, which is <laughs> one of my picks um, for a little something different. This is Stand Tall. This was from uh, Amazing Spider Man Volume 2, number 36 from 2001, written by J. Michael Straczynski, art by John Romita Jr. Once again, um, this is decidedly not comedic, nor is it low stakes. This is known by a lot of people as the 9-11 issue. This came out uh, in December of 2001. So just uh, three months out from that incredible tragedy. tragedy. And this has always kind of stood out to me as like as a Marvel story because when everything kind of went down you know you don't necessarily you know have a mind for superheroes or comic books or any of the kind of um fiction stuff that we attribute to stories featuring characters like spider-man but the unique thing about marvel as opposed to DC is that, you know, the whole idea behind Marvel is it's the world outside your window. And like the majority of Marvel's heroes were based in New York. And so Marvel has always kind of felt, at least to me, like a very New York universe. Hmm. Like a lot of stuff happens there. For some reason, all of the villains in the Marvel universe suddenly go there for whatever reason. It's, a focal point for that comic book universe and it is it would feel almost strange i guess if they didn't cover it because yeah. new yeah. york is such a huge part of marvel's identity and this issue starts off immediately with showing you the stakes and showing you what has happened um the cover is notable for just being this all black cover and the first big splash page is Spider-Man just looking over the devastation of what's happened. And there isn't a whole lot of dialogue in this, like between characters, but there's a lot of caption boxes. So this is almost Straczynski kind of giving his, I, I, I guess like his thesis statement on the events, his feelings on it. Because this, I mean, this wasn't an issue that was planned for mm-hmm. any reason. And so when they decided to go through this, like it is haunting in a way, especially looking back at it where, I mean, next month is going to be 10 years to the day when this, you know, this thing happened and reading through this issue was kind of chilling Mm -hmm. to go through. Uh, 20, 20 years, 20 years to the day. 20 years. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, I hadn't read this issue in a really long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, and like, you know, it's interesting to read it, you know, 20 years later, 
um, because it was written because this was written like so quickly in the aftermath. Yeah. And I sort of think about, you know, the reactionary, um, you know, events following 9-11, right? And, right? and whatever you, wherever you land politically, like you look at American media and art, like in the se several years following 9-11, and it's mm -hmm. very, it's very pro-war. It's very, pro um, very pro-America and yeah, anti-Middle East. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you look at that, it's like, and, and you look at it now and you're like, oh, like seeing it now and seeing like all the complexities that were actually like at play when you're not just reacting to like, this, you know, huge tragedy, um, you can, you see how, like, how one-sided it is. Like, obviously there's nothing really one-sided about, there's nothing really two-sided about 9-11, right. obviously. But there's, it's, but but the the Afghanistan war and the Iraq war, like, following is, is a lot more complicated than that. Right. Um, so I was like, oh, I wonder how this is going to hold up. Um, and I think it held up really, really well because it is, it is mostly, um, uh caption boxes like voiceover and yeah it's very much straczynski talking about it and just like contemplating like trying to understand like the nature of this this thing like all this loss and this tragedy and this evil and what does that mean and like how do we even like move on you know mm -hmm. in the aftermath of that um and yeah this is it, yeah you're totally right about what you're talking about like how the 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 marvel universe and specifically like the new york marvel universe is a lot more to do with like the real world like there's a little bit more of an air linking there and this right. is very much reality you know smashing into into this fictional world and yeah i mean if they hadn't addressed it it would have been like well you know you have the twin towers like in marvel comics mm -hmm. and obviously you wouldn't have them after um and spider-man is like the ultimate new york hero so yeah. it obviously where what other comic would it be in unless it was its own standalone thing right um so, but yeah, I, I, I really appreciated it. Um, and just how it's just, it's just trying to process, like, what does right. this mean? And like, where are we? Well, and the thing about it is like, like you mentioned, like everything kind of post nine 11, especially for those first like three or four years was very like, um, very like pro America patriotic. That's something that I feel like is really interesting with the, uh, the captain America run following this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that immediate one. Not an incredible. It's not a great story. Um, the first six issues are good, but then it just kind of falls away because it just really becomes a very like anti. Like we got to find terrorists and like <laughs> yeah. really like oh kind of, and the uh, the blow is not softened as much as it should be with that Cassidy art. But <laughs> what what this is is it's not like you know, immediately like, oh, we got to go get these guys. It's everybody processing. And it's not just, you know, people on the ground are put at the front and center of this, which I love. Um, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And you see the Marvel heroes on the same level of them. Like if I had to point to a an example of, um, of, Marvel heroes feeling like they are us, that they mm -hmm. live in the same world. Like this is an issue where I would see that because they are, you would have in some of these panels, you would have to really like look to find like a captain America or like a Thor, but you can plainly see first responders. You can plainly see firefighters, paramedics, which mm -hmm. I think is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, 
and then you get you know the processing of you know different characters in the marvel universe there's this it it's I don't know how to feel about this, like this page where all the villains are. <laughs> That's so interesting. I think that that when a lot of times now, when this issue is brought up, like people poke fun at the Doctor Doom thing, which is admittedly very strange because yeah. he's he's Latverian, and I almost think it would have been more powerful to have Wilson Fisk, who was literally standing next to him, take that spot. Yeah, there, there's other more connected human heroes than dr doom um but yeah it would have yeah if it was kingpin it would have been like oh of course like i mean like kingpin like yeah he loves the city he's he's way more connected to it he cares i and i i think that that image of like the close-up of dr doom's eye like crying gets some grief and i understand but at the same time it's also i think straczynski is trying to say like everyone is affected by it right right like doesn't matter who you are or like what people think of you or like your reputation, like, like this, like affects all of us. Yeah. And, and it's and just a little broad, right? <laughs> a little <laughs> broad to say the least, but we also get these like heartbreaking stories. Like we have Spider-Man, like find this kid who's like, my dad went in that building. And if I stay right here, he'll come back. And it's like, it's heartbreaking. And you get to see these the the one that always gets me is that page with cap like mm-hmm. it's it is legitimately like it's hard to process because like putting yourself in like those kind of shoes it's it's strange but what i love is that as the um as the issue kind of wraps up all of the other uh like marvel specific characters kind of fade to the background and we get this focus on people yeah people from all walks of life people from all different backgrounds and the final like big splash page has them front and center and Mm -hmm. it's it is you know one of those issues that i think depending on again where you fall can come across very hokey and i could see people you know seeing this as a very hokey kind of you know rah-rah story but I have never been able to get through this issue anytime I've read it without getting choked up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's, it's so interesting because it kind of takes me back to like that day and those years following, you know, when I was young, but old enough to like be struck by what's happening, Mm -hmm. but to be young enough to be like confused and like, yeah, sort of like, I don't, I don't get it. And I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, years ago, uh, took a trip to New York and like we went to the, you know, September 11th Memorial. Wow. Um, I don't know if you've ever been. Never. To... And the memorial is exactly where the, the Twin Towers used to stand. And it is um, two giant squares in the shape of their bases. Wow. It's um, the exact size of their bases. So, you know, exactly where they were and how big they were. Um, and, both have a hole in the center with a, a, a kind of like a fountain, but it's constantly pouring in. The water's mm-hmm. pouring in and pouring in, pouring in. And you can look down to it and you know, the base and just the water's pouring in for both things. And all along is a little wall, a little retaining wall along that. And um, it's the names of everyone that died that day. Wow. Um, and, you know, nearby is a, is a museum with more memorial. And of course, there's one World Trade Center, the tower that they built in the decades after. Right. But, you know, standing there and, you know, standing in like that moment, I was, you know, really struck by um, just the loss, you know, that still like echoes all those years yeah. later. 
and you know, I look, I look at this issue and I think about, you know, the immediacy of the grief and the immediacy of like, just the inability to comprehend like why this would happen, you know, mm-hmm. why some, why people would do this, you know, what does it mean to like live in the aftermath? Um, and it's, it's really, it's really emotional because, you know, this is reality. This is, you know, there's so much of, of the, the, the wonderful thing about comic books and superheroes is that we can transpose them onto reality right. and be inspired by them, which is what some of these stories talk about too. Um, and is the na- the nature of why superheroes are so appealing to us. But, you know, when you, when you get down to like the reality of like tragedy and death and, you know, murder, it's, you know, sometimes it's still so incomprehensible, you know, right. especially when you put it in the context of like the magnitude of, of everything that was lost. And so, you know, even though I, I didn't lose anyone that day and, you know, I wasn't, you know, you know, directly affected by it. You know, I, I think anyone that kind of lived through it that was old enough to understand it is personally affected and has some sort of, you know, emotional tie to all that. So reading this, I, I was still struck by how emotional it was and how um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't some call to like bomb people, you yeah. know, go to war. And at the end, you know, it was saying something about, you know, take the the iron girders and the walls and make, you know, forge them into your spine and for everything that was lost, like stand tall. Um, it was beautiful, you know, and yeah, it's the faces of all the, the, the you know, rescue workers and the, the frontliners and everything like that. It's like, it's wonderful because in the end, like those are the, the real people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not Spider-Man uh, yeah. because he's, he's not actually real. So, <laughs> no matter how, how much Wait, he, what? he can. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, to this break is it the to worst you. day ever. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it's a great issue. Yeah. And I don't think I could have said it better myself. Like it is a, it is a very um, emotionally charged issue for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are going to move right along to the fourth pick, which is um, a story that I have been waiting to revisit because I read it a while back and I've been wanting an excuse to jump into it again. This is To Have and To Hold. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Sensational Spider-Man Annual Number 1 from 2007, written by Matt Fraction with art by Salvador LaRocca. And this is, if anything, the thesis statement on Peter Parker and Mary Jane. Like, for me, this is their, like, this is the be-all, end-all of, like, how you sell people on them as a couple. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's kind of incredible because it's during the post civil war era. So Spidey's on the run, his identity is exposed. He has aunt may and Mary Jane with him. Aunt may is dying. and is in a critical condition and him and, or I don't know if she's dying yet, but she's definitely sick. Um, yeah. Aunt May just kind of goes through these periods of just being, <laughs> just being Dying. totally ill, like constantly, sparing um, states of fragility. Yeah, <laughs> depending on depending on the writer, um, but it's kind of this dual story of Peter and MJ kind of going out and doing something while they're kind of on the run, and uh, MJ runs into one of her old flames, this guy Brady, who is just the worst, <laughs> and. Um, while Peter is going to Detective Lamont and wanting to turn himself in. So it's the thing that always strikes me about the story isn't really so much the modern day stuff, but it is the incredible art 
in the flashbacks that almost transports you back to that uh, mm-hmm. Lee Ramita era. Yeah. Where you're just, you see MJ and you see Gwen and you see Harry, you see Peter all together and it feels like it's connected. Cause like you, I'm, I, and I'm sure you've had this before where it's like you're reading a run of a character and the artist switches and it feels like a different story. Yeah. And this does a really great job in kind of selling that it's all one big story. There are, sure, people might change, they might look different, but it's all one story together. And I just, I love the way that it kind of intertwines these two stories because Peter wants to turn himself in because he's like, we're on the run. This is not the life that I want for them. Meanwhile, this Brady guy who's an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is like, hey, you should turn Peter in. (laughs) So it's almost like if they had just gone to the opposite places on this day, it would have been a very different story. But this this uh, this annual issue really does just kind of recount their whole relationship, recounts what they mean to each other, and has one of my favorite uh, Peter and Mary Jane moments where uh, near the end, uh, this Brady guy's like, "All right, I'm gonna arrest you now," and she's like, "All right, cool." So she you know puts her hands out, she gets handcuffed, and then Brady looks down and sees a spider tracer, and he's like. <laughs> Oh shit! And then just Peter bursts through this window, and he's and it's just this cool like, "Hi, honey!" Like just grabs her, dodges bullets, flipping all over the place, and gets them out. And Brady's like, "Wait, say you're under, you're under arrest. Wait, okay." <laughs> it's Talk. a great, yeah, it's a great climax, little twist to the the reader's perception of everything that's going on there. Yeah, it's it's just it's a very cool story and it ends with the iconic like them on top of the Empire State Building, uh, which is I I would say one of the good things about this Nick Spencer run, calling back to this. Um, yeah, whatever. This mo- <laughs> this I can, is the first I, issue. I, Give me that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So much promise. I've seen it before. <laughs> But yeah, I just I think this is a great issue that kind of really dives into what MJ and Peter mean to each other. And even under these really dire circumstances, they're still able to continue to push that narrative forward. So I think it's a really strong issue when it kind of in regards to talking about them as a couple. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, this is this is cool. This is one of the I hadn't read it before. Oh, um, nice. Uh, I watched a. All right, I'll break my own rule. Uh, I watched for every kind of geeks uh, video whoa, on this. Whoa, whoa. Uh, <laughs> Mentioning Doug. Okay. Uh, everybody gets one, uh, <laughs> as Spider-Man would say. Um, <laughs> as Spider-Man would say. Nice. Uh, and, uh, you know, that I hadn't read it before, um, but uh, I had seen that video and I read it for this, and it's super awesome. Um, well, yeah, like you said, just a great uh, statement on their marriage. And like you were saying, the whole, like, past and present sort of thing connecting is is powerful because yeah it does connect and it reminds you that this is a long ongoing relationship right and um it just gives them a lot more um internal life i would say you know as characters instead of just like you know instead of instead of just who they are in the moment like remembering like that they have this long growing you know alive relationship is is super awesome and this whole you know statement on their their marriage and their commitment to each other too is, is really cool 
because you know when you're in a relationship with someone sometimes it's really easy to just live in the moment yeah just be like just you know we're just here right now and just thinking about this but then when you remember like oh yeah we've had all the, this time together you know all these memories and these events and these years and they all are still there you know in us uh and that and you know it's it helps you reconnect with like everything that you've been through with a person that you're in a relationship with. Right. And I think that's what this, this whole, uh, you know, issue is speaking to. And it, you know, what makes, it makes me wonder is it makes me wonder how much fraction knew about um, one more day. Yeah. Cause this is right before it, right before this is like one of the, like maybe the last, I, I'd have to look up the exact dates, but I mean, because Aunt May has been shot, right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Peter's deal with Mephisto with one more day is to heal that. Um, so, like, everything's about to be wiped, like, in a month or two, max. Yeah, it, it, um, it's almost like this is a last hurrah for that. Mm-hmm. It's a last hurrah. It's Fraction maybe being like, screw you guys. <laughs> screw you, Casada. Like, this marriage is great. Like, all that sort of stuff. But then at the same time, like, man, they really put um, them in the, they painted them into a corner, too, with yeah. everything. Being on the run, May being shot, um, identity being exposed. It's like, you know, how much, else, where else can like they go? Like, and that's part of it too, is like, there's such, an, they're trapped and they both know they're trapped, but they still right. choose each other. Yeah. Um, and this on top of the Empire State Building and jumping off into the unknown, you know, together, you know, making the choice to continue together into mm-hmm. another day of their lives is really powerful. Absolutely. And this was one of the stories like, Reading this now as an adult, closer mm. to Peter's age now in this story than I was when I first read this, um, it's kind of nostalgic. Like mm-hmm. um, looking through again, like the, the incredible flashback art. You know, there are multiple scenes where you get to see them being really uneasy with each other in their, you know, <laughs> in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there, there's this great scene that's. Uh, taken from both perspectives at different points of the story where you know mj's like hey like i made you a mixtape and i was like oof that is definitely 2007 (laughs) oh that hurts me a little bit and and she was like did you make me a mixtape and he's like yeah it's got like a lecture on like science and magnetic fields (laughs) and like she doesn't get it and like you get like the inner monologue from both of them like oh my god i'm screwing this up i'm screwing this up and like she pulls out this santa hat with like mistletoe on it she's like it's mistletoe on a hat and he's like yeah okay i gotta go bye and like you get like both of their perspective it's just very cute and again Mm -hmm. like i have and i think i've said it before on the podcast like i've always been like a a a gwen guy when it comes to Mm -hmm. peter's relationships Mm -hmm. but if there was ever a shining example of Peter and MJ needing to be together, this comic is it for sure. That's interesting that you're a Gwen guy because I've never, maybe it's because of the way I was introduced to the characters or the fact that Gwen Stacy doesn't have a personality, you know, I was, you know, never. Whoa. Really <laughs> <laughs> that is incredibly uncalled for true as it might be. That really hurts. <laughs> it i mean you know but i i you know it's all good uh you know there's there, how many how, there's like mary jane is like the definitive spider-man love interest like there's yeah. there's no whatever whatever your feelings are like she's the definitive spider-man love interest like 
they were they've been together for like 30 years probably you know? longer but yeah at this point yeah 35 then add on some new stuff maybe close to 40 like it's like yeah everyone else is like a, a blip you know yeah. in spider-man's life um even carly cooper who i really like yeah carly cooper uh, carly 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 cooper's great yes was... and they turned her into a goblin briefly and then she had some really bad eczema and they shipped her off <laughs> well we uh yeah that happened um this, so... this, this makes me this reminds me that i needed to say that the big time era of spider-man is rad big time rules yeah like right. as, as and i and i will say it too um brand new day kind of rules as well there are certain things about that that i hadn't uh ever dived into myself and one of the stories that we're going to talk about is one of them um but it's kind of incredible like how much spidey just kind of like rolls with it and how much Mm -hmm. writers just kind of like all right this is the new status quo we've been used to this and now we're gonna do this now so i guess this is what we're doing (laughs) i mean they wanted things to be fresh right i mean the the marriage being the casualty sucks and i I don't really agree with it but they made it fresh and they got a lot of like fresh stories out of it so you know it's just it's just kind of eventually like where do you go right you know we go to Nick Spencer and his run. Stop. So uh, the, <laughs> uh, the next story that we have is uh, another one that I picked. So we did two of Matt's. We're doing three of mine. That feels balanced. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is entitled Flashbacks. This is from uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 574 from 2008, written by Mark Guggenheim with art by Barry Kitson. And this is my boy, Flash Thompson. Not only (laughs) is this a rad title, this is a play on words because it's Flash having flashbacks. It's flat. You get it. So (laughs) this story kind of like happens in the middle of a bunch of stuff happening. Like Mm. 2008 was kind of like a whirlwind year for Spider-Man just in general, 2007, 2008, that whole period. Um, And so they decided to do this quick little one-off with Mark Guggenheim, who is the guy who's headed up up the Arrowverse since then, and Barry Kitson, who I don't see a lot. And it's kind of a shame because he's a rad artist and I really dig his style. But this is a uh this is a one-off issue focusing on flash thompson and this was kind of the establishing point for him for everything that he would be going forward from here we hadn't seen flash in a while he'd popped up like every so often in little things but this issue was kind of what reintroduces us to flash in the modern day with modern stories and it tells the story of him you know, recovering at this military hospital around Christmas time. And he gets this, he gets sent this iPod by Pete, who is just like, Hey man, hope you're doing well, put in a song here for you. And it's, uh, he's got, it's loaded up with Billy Joel songs, which is great. Every iPod (laughs) should just be gifted with Billy Joel songs. But we find out that uh, Flash Thompson, after his first tour of duty, went back for a second tour to serve in the Iraq war. So, um, the way the order that I kind of read this in, because I ended up reading Sensational after this, was I went from Stand Tall to this, which is a whirlwind of a reading experience, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but he's greeted by this uh, this guy, General Fazekas, and he's there to assess him for the Medal of Honor because they're basically like, We're, we want to give you the Medal of Honor, but I want to interview you first. And he's like, okay, cool, sure. And he's just like chilling in his, you know, in his hospital bed. And right away, they do something incredible, which is, you know, the general's going through his file and he's like, uh, your nickname's Flash. What what earned you that nickname? And it immediately just hard cuts to this like high school era, like oh Flash and this girl who we don't know who this girl is, but she's like, they're in the backseat of Flash's car and she pats him on the back. She's like, it's okay, Eugene. It was nice, really. And it's like, <laughs> no more explanation needed. And he just goes, high school football. And I'm like, it's so good. And it's like, Flash in this is immediately likable, mm. which Flash is not always likable. <laughs> um, yeah, he's one. This of, is this is this is this kind of a new start to the character, really. Yeah, and this really sets us up for who the character is going to be for the next decade and a half. And what I love is that, like, Flash Thompson has always been kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. I've always been a big Flash Thompson fan. I've always wanted to see good things for him. Um, and so when I read this initially, because I've, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but if you're unaware, if this is your first podcast, welcome, hello. Um, I am a military brat. So like stories that involve the military always kind of draw me in for whatever reason. And so we get this almost um, catch up on Eugene Flash Thompson, where we find out he came from an abusive home. We get this great callback to the time that he got mistaken for Spider-Man and was abducted by yeah. Dr. Doom. Like, <laughs> it's really, it's cool because this, uh, this not only reintroduces us to Flash Thompson, but also establishes all the things that made Flash Thompson great as a character. Uh, the fact that he and Pete did end up becoming really great friends. The fact that he was always willing to volunteer to help people. And the fact that he was the biggest Spider-Man fan in the world. You can say somebody else, but you'll have to fight Flash Thompson and you'll probably lose. <laughs> um, but we get this story on how Flash was inspired and is constantly inspired by Peter Parker unknowingly but by spider-man in all of these different like combat situations while he's out in iraq like you see this moment where it's like you know they get hit by an ied their whole humvee gets flipped over and the general says so you're trapped inside a 17-ton coffin like what are you what are you doing there and it immediately flashes back to the scene that matt mentioned earlier where he's lifting the machinery off and he's like you know, I just, you just try to remember that you can get through stuff if you just stay focused. And it's like, I just, how can you not root for this guy? Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> it's really cool. He's in the, the middle of the, like this active, you know, battle zone. There's a moment where it's like, you know, some of these guys are uh, hopped up on painkillers to the point that it they're not like, uh reacting to any kind of damage and then you know it flashes back to nothing can stop the juggernaut where it has spidey you know trying to wrestle him down and it's like <laughs> he says you know it's like trying to stop a tank and it's like all of this like real world stuff is juxtaposed with how much spider-man and his adventures have inspired flash thompson 
Mm -hmm. And as you know, we find out throughout this, um, Flash is kind of stuck in this no win situation, and he's like, he's taken bullets to the legs, and he's like not sure how he's going to get out of this. And he ends up he he says like you know sometimes what you need you, you need an edge you know whatever even artificial and it flashes over to the Iron Spider, and mm-hmm. just all over you see how much Spider Man has influenced him to become a hero in a place where Spider-Man would never find himself. Yeah. In Marvel Comics. And so when the issue kind of wraps up and you find out Flash lost both of his legs, it's this gut punch mm-hmm. where you're like, "Ah, oh, god, he's like he's done all this and all this stuff and he's like, you know, he says, um, you know, I don't need a medal to remind me to do the right thing. You know, I've been lucky to know people whose example reminds me every every day and it's got that classic like spidey eyes like that spidey mask looking yeah. looming over him like it's a like it's an episode of spectacular spider-man <laughs> like it's just really cool and mm-hmm. flash thompson from here you know this is a launching pad for him to become agent venom and to become this heroic character so i just i i love agent venom that is like mm-hmm. a deep seat deep-seated love of mine i love that whole character and flash thompson gets this uh character rebirth in a way in this issue which leads into that uh, i had never read this issue before i knew of it but i never read it before so i'm glad that i got to read it for this one because i thought it was awesome um yeah i mean you 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 spoke to it you know perfectly um what i i love about it is that um it makes flash like us right yeah because you know, while Flash is a character within the universe, he looks at Spider-Man and is inspired by him, right? And uh, as readers, you know, we're inspired by Spider-Man also. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure, you know, depending on the situation, like, you know, whether literally or or just maybe in the back of your mind, like Spider-Man is an inspiration. Like he's a, a call to, you know, be stronger and better and more responsible and look out for other people. Like, and that's what's great about the character. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, it is tragic. And, and I knew that Flash loses his legs in this issue. Like I was aware of that because I am I know the character. Um, but yeah, it's still like a gut punch. And just having that, um, that he's so like matter of fact about his responsibility. Yeah. You know, that he owns it so much. And it's just like, you know, there was a, a life that needed to be saved. And this is my duty. And, you know, I just, I did whatever I could. Um, is great and like this whole like you know this he's being interviewed to get a, a medal of honor um, and he's really not even like interested in it yeah you know he's just like oh you know the guy's you know saying like you know basically like I know a medal like probably isn't you know enough you know for what you've lost and I even for Flash is just like no he's just like he was just there to save a life yeah um, it's beautiful it's like a beautiful issue and I think it's interesting to have this, you know, in the context of the um, stand tall issue mm-hmm. also, um, where, you know, several years later, we're seeing, you know, the story of someone affected by, you know, the war um, in the aftermath of that and seeing this, you know, continued human toll. It's really interesting. Um, but yeah, Flash is great. Um, he's such a, I mean, like he was, you know, such a, a, you know, this obstacle of a character, right? In the early yeah. Spider-Man days. And he kind of got lost in the shuffle after a while because 
what do you do with your high school bully after, you know, you <laughs> leave high school and yes, he goes to the same college, I he guess. He bullies but, him in college. Yeah. And then you leave college and then, you know, what else do you do with flash? But, um, yeah, this is very much like a rebirth for the character and, and an understanding of, of, of him. Um, and it makes me think of like when he does leave for the military in those early issues, which is also in Spider-Man blue mm-hmm. and then is also given its own version in a life story. Yes. Also, um, you know, where flash leaves for the war and that whole like issue of like the Peter doesn't get there in time to say goodbye yeah. and knowing that he's going there because he's inspired by Spider-Man mm-hmm. and that he ends up dying. Yeah. You know, too is like heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, he, he's a great character. Um, I'm really glad they brought him back. Um, Cause I, I mean, I guess we can talk about it a little bit later too, but um, slots, you know, red goblin um, finale, mm-hmm. oh. um, you know, is pulling, he's, he's pulling out of the stops and, you know, having flash die. Um, I don't think it was necessary, but also helps to kind of underline like the stakes of everything for sure. And I think a lot of people were pissed. <laughs> yeah. You're looking at one of them. Like I was, I was very unhappy about that, but again, like yeah. you said, it, it really kind of pushed forward that this is like a huge climactic event. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, now, now they've brought him back, which is cool as agent anti-venom, which you know, they had done you know, for a little bit. And then Kate's, you know, fully brought it back, like at the end of his venom run. Mm-hmm. Cause I think Kate's was like, Oh, I need to like correct that probably. Yeah. Well, uh, and he does a great job um, early, early in the run where mm-hmm. you, yeah. When it, he has the, the codex, right? Yeah. And it, it's kind of like this weird thing where it's like the symbiote obviously likes or liked flash more than mm-hmm. Eddie. And it's like not <laughs> shy about telling him that it's, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's, I mean, and that's sort of the, the agent venom stuff is like really interesting kind of puts this fun spin on, on that whole dynamic. Yeah. Um, but I just, this is such a, an interesting issue because it is really devoid of superheroics. Yeah. And it's devoid of Spider-Man besides being an inspiration to him. Um, but it's a great issue. I loved it. For sure. Me too. And if you, uh, if you do check this out on Comixology, it does include the page where uh, the editor, Stephen Wacker, talks about the inspiration for this story, mm-hmm. which was them meeting a military vet who had gone through uh, some injuries very similar to Flash's in the line of duty and like how they communicated with him and how he helped them with a lot of stuff to make this story more real. Just a very cool story and not just like in the story itself, but how it came together, but... Yeah, so I'm I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. But let's go ahead and head to our fifth story, which is another one from uh from our boy Matt Draper here. Um take it away. Uh this one is Unscheduled Stop by Mark Wade and Marcos Martin from Amazing Spider-Man 578 and 579. And it was kind of the reason why we did this uh episode in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Uh, because I was shooting my mouth off on Twitter about it. Um, <laughs> totally unlike him, by the way. He never does this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do have to say that I am like maybe the only non-toxic Spider-Man Twitter user in existence. He's the uh, only because, one. <laughs> because I, don't, I don't attack people about costume design or like I'm just a jerk. And I actually get like positive, like talk positively about comics which is, you know, <laughs> kind of a rarity, a little humble brag there, you know. 
just a little, just a little humble brag. <laughs> um, but this um, there's just a few issues after flashbacks and is in the middle of the um, brand new day era, as we were talking about. And brand new day, you know, has this rotating cast of writers because they were like every were they every other week? Yeah, they were doing these these issues at the time, which is crazy. Um, so they had a rotating cast of writers and artists and then a few people as like the head of the Spidey Brain Trust that was guiding the direction of the comic at the time as they're just like pumping out these issues. And yeah. so obviously you, you get a lot of unmemorable ones. But I think this, this, these two issues, this story is one of my favorite Spider-Man comics of all time. Yeah. Um, because uh, had you read it before this? I have. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's a Mark Wade joint. So, you know, I'm going to yeah. be there immediately. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I hadn't read it in a good long while. So I was really mm -hmm. excited to get back into it. Gosh, I read this comic like every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I'm so going to have to put into the rotation. Yeah, because um, the, the story is that, um, well, it's again, it's another bad luck, bad Parker luck story, um, which is interesting. It does a little like double double twist on that at the beginning. Yeah. It opens with Peter eating Chinese food in the rain, you know, and at this point, because of brand new day, he's like poor. Slumming it. Just absolutely slumming it. Yeah. Eating, eating Chinese food in the rain, trying it with like a makeshift umbrella and the uh, little fortune floats down. It says, uh, what is it? You will have luck today. Yes. Yeah, yeah, today will be your lucky day. Today will be your lucky day. And he looks at it and he goes, har. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then he gets, a subway ticket floats down out of the air too. And he's like, oh, my luck has turned around. He So he can get out of the rain, go where he needs to go, you know, uh, grabs the train, um, gets on at the last second because a, a attractive supermodel. lady, supermodel's like, oh, come on with me. And like, he's like, oh, great. Um, you know, suddenly the luck's turning around. But guess what? It's just the worst luck ever actually in disguise because... <laughs> The train, the subway, you know, uh, underground is derailed in this giant, looks like an earthquake. Um, but he's also like, he senses like this imminent danger, goes to this other car, tries to help. Boom, subway collapses in on them. Uh, and just their car is like trapped, right? Trapped, you know, in this collapse. Um, and so he finds out that the car is holding this jury um, on the way to a trial for this mob boss or, or the, the like the consigliere, the mob, mob yeah. boss. And they were targeted. Um, they're there, they're, and they're under the East River <laughs> and the foundation is cracking. Oh. So they're trapped in the subway, about to be flooded and drowned. Um, I, and yeah, th there's a lot of great like reveals. Like Wade is really good at it. And Martine obviously is great at these like sudden reveals. Like first is like the, the, attack the collapse and then is the the turning the light on seeing that spider-man is holding up the the subway car with just a couple other people underneath him this and torn clothes torn oh i love that look the the yeah. all the, the clothes torn off of him because he puts on his mask like right before he's about to go in the car because he knows something's about to happen um rocking the chucks oh yeah i love that i mean it makes him look like really like casual and also they don't have a lot of money and yeah. um and like so he's like, and I love just the way that Martine, like he's really limmy. He's this mm -hmm. really lanky limmy guy when Martine draws him. Um, and like, he just, the weight on him is really cool. Um, you can just see that. And I love the, the cover too, where it's almost all black 
and the ASM titles like all like yeah you know, like crumbling. Yeah, and he's just a little bit in the corner like holding it up. Um that that's a great reveal, the reveal of the East River, uh the reveal of the shocker who is there who caused the attack. Yeah. When Peter's climbing up, you know, the ladder to get out and Shocker just like grabs him and starts yeah, like so you know, cool. starts attacking great, him. Like, great full page spread. Amazing little reveal there. Um so they were targeted by the shocker to try and like kill this jury before they can test before they can like you know try against this uh this boss and um well, what do you know uh, oh he he and then the shocker gets overloaded and their one way out gets you know collapsed and then what do you know but one of the uh the juror one of the jurors is uh j jonah jameson senior senior the uh father of uh j jonah jameson who we didn't know before we didn't know that jjj was a junior he's a quadruple um, j yeah um so you get this extra connection this new reveal of more stuff about uh jonah and then that's the first issue and it's interesting kind of like um nothing can stop the juggernaut you know yeah cl- climax of the the physical odds kind of a failing there and then this new you know path around the odds and so the second issue is them trying to get out of this collapsing subway with the water um, rising and fighting shocker and um, you know just continued this like makeshift like escape right where mm-hmm. Peter you know makes this uh, little um, ele- you know makeshift elevator <laughs> um, you know to pull people up uh, this is a uh, uh, let's see hey how much do you know about engineering not much ah well that's probably a good thing how come because if you knew anything about all that uh, at all about stuff like bracing and load distribution, then the sight of this would send you into a blind panic. Okay, a little <laughs> scaffold. I'll christen the SS Hail Mary. Um, and stuff like that. These little character moments. Peter holding them up with all the rats on him. Again, another yeah. reveal. Just covered in rat, giant rats. Um, and, you know, this sort of like this constant scramble as things continue to fall apart and Shocker betraying them and all this sort of stuff is so, so cool. Um, and I love the atmosphere, too, of it all. Agreed. Um, it's very claustrophobic. It's claustrophobic. But then I also love the rainy outdoor New York, I think, is a great look. Uh, Spider-Man in the rain is really awesome. Um, Always. Yeah. <laughs> and I just it's it's again this perfect little story. Um with small stakes, but that feel heavy, right. you know, because Spider-Man is the only one around to, to take care of people. Um, you know, he's got this group of people that, you know, would be doomed without him. Um, so you get that responsibility on him. And um, Shocker is like a fun villain to, to add in here. And I think, I guess it's his first appearance since the start of a uh, brand new day. Yeah. Cause when they did brand new day, they, they, they scaled back all the uh, classic villains. Mm-hmm. And introduced a lot of new ones. Most of them didn't really stick around, um, uh, but they would slowly drip feed like the new villains back in. So it's shockers like first time back. Right. Um, and he's just menacing enough. You know, obviously he's not a huge threat to Spider-Man usually, but with his like powers in this like collapsed tunnel, like it's like a really bad idea. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. Uh, I just think Wade and Martine are an awesome duo. Agreed. Uh, you know, on this, on Daredevil. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I, I love it. It's yeah, a, it's I, just a great story. 
might be uh might be a hot take but i think marcos martin might be one of the best spider-man uh spider-man artists i yeah i mean i put him up there i i really do just love his like you were saying spider-man is very lanky and he feels like he's he's this like underdog boxer who's just Mm -hmm. kind of like punching up at all times and it's it's cool i i dig this i love the like you said the building escalation the quick reveals i love the sequence where he's pulling them up and uh uh jameson senior is like hey what's going on he's like do not put that light on me right now just keep the light on them (laughs) and then when they're finally up the big reveal that all these rats are on him like yeah yeah it just yeah again these these lovely little little turns in the story um it's it's amazing pacing which you can only get from like absolute pros you yeah. know in, in the industry that Absolutely. know that the 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 importance of a of a great place panel and a really good page turn um this escalation of stakes it's just it's really good like the way that that it flows um it's a really really satisfying read yeah. um Agreed. and i just again i just love the the uh, the, the atmosphere for sure yeah and so that brings us to the next pick, which is yours once again, sir. Um, oh, yes. Th- this one, I will say, I read for the first time. Really? Yes. I, w- I read this one for the first time, and as a uh, Superior Spider-Man fan, this brought me back. Oh, yeah, because this is, this is sort of in the... I mean, it's still a little bit before, but the lead up too. Oh, it's everything. it's much before, but the villain that's featured in this. Oh yeah, okay. So this is No One Dies from Amazing Spider-Man number six fifty-five and six fifty-six. Once uh, by Dan Slott and once again Marcos Martin. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is not the last time that we'll see him, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, this is in the smack dab in the middle of big time as we had mentioned a little bit, uh, the big time era of Spider-Man, which is the immediately following brand new day. Um, the next sort of phase of, of Spider-Man this time where he's, I guess, what? how would you summarize big time? He's sort of making these advances in his life, like his personal yeah. life, his professional life, his life as a hero. Trying to make and progress. sort of this promise of Spider-Man becoming the greatest hero in Marvel. Right. And sort of living up to that, owning that and trying to be that um, in every way. And um, I think this really um, plays into that a lot because um, this takes place in the aftermath of uh, Marla Jameson dying. She's killed by uh, Alistair Smythe, the spider slayer, um, when he is in his really weird um, body transmogrified sort of scorpion kind of thing. <laughs> kills her while trying to kill uh, Jonah. Um, and so this is in the aftermath of that. And the f- it's two issues. And the first half of the first issue is completely silent. It is uh, her funeral. And I think what, I mean, obviously Martine, again, talking about how, what a great um, artist he is. He just gets across sort of the weight being felt by Jameson, by Peter, by everyone that's going to this funeral and this sort of um, the grief uh, felt by everyone is like very palpable. Yeah. Uh, and also sort of this, there's little moments of like people like connecting, 
you know, mm-hmm. you know, sort of holding on to each other in this tragedy. Spider-Man goes to sleep and has a nightmare where he's confronted by everyone that's died um, in his time. Heavy. Uh, yeah. Starting with Uncle Ben um, with this really cool like game board um, twirl like into Uncle Ben um, and sort of this, this grief. Uh, and so he starts to see everyone. He sees his parents who are faceless because he's forgotten what they look like. He sees uh, the burglar um who he he says uh not me you see me like it was yesterday down to the last freckle don't you um sitting at the same table as uncle ben and his parents yeah um he sees marla jameson he even sees aunt may um who's not dead um and this and reality goes topsy-turvy because it's a nightmare this there's this big spread where New York is upside down and he's following all these people. He sees Gwen. There's this long parade of all these characters, notable characters that have died. Um, Scarlet Spider, Gwen Stacy, Kane, Ezekiel. Um, and is confronted by Charlie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who is the woman that he accidentally killed in Spider-Man versus Wolverine. Um, which is a really heavy thing that most people don't talk about. In no, it gets swept under the rug a lot. Yeah. She wants to die. She's trying to have Wolverine kill her. And in this fight between Wolverine and Spider-Man, she's like an assassin. Um, she tricks Spider-Man into thinking that he's, that she's Wolverine and he, he hits her hard and she dies. Yeah. Which is crazy. Big yikes. It's, it's, it's a really dark issue. Yeah. Um, also, Ned Leeds is killed in that issue because James Owsley, a.k.a. Christopher Priest, um, knew that he was he was apparently going to be Hobgoblin, although he wasn't actually going to be the secret identity of Hobgoblin because Tom DeFalco lied and said that he was Hobgoblin. So he said, I don't want him to be Hobgoblin. So he kills him off so he <laughs> did, can't be Hobgoblin. So he'll be the foreigner instead. But then everyone gets mad and they're like, never mind, he was Hobgoblin. We'll just reveal it posthumously. <laughs> uh, but she's also in it. He sees like all the... And he's Green Goblin. He sees the villains and they're like, oh, well, we'll just keep coming back to life, you know, because, you know, it's only the good people that stay dead. Um, you know, Captain America, he sees who's like, um, uh, grow up, son. You think I didn't kill Nazis back in the day? Sees yeah. the century. Um, you know, he sees the the thief and he uh, he kills him in the dream, but then realizes that he's killed Uncle Ben. Um and, you know, the, the bl- bloodied Uncle Ben on the, the floor says, uh, this is Oof. how you kill me, Peter, how you'd be responsible for the death of everything I've given you, all of my love for you, my pride in you. And so, you know, all this stuff and says, Uncle Ben, please, it won't ever come to this, I swear. And then it's Marla with, with all these people behind her, the dead says, if that's so, then tell us, what will you do now? And he wakes up in a cold sweat and he says, uh, he's on the roof um, overlooking New York, says, I'm done, done accepting things the way they are. I swear to you, from now on, whenever I'm around, wherever I am, no one dies. And so it's like this total reversal. Like you think yeah. like Peter's like, I swear I'm done. I'm done being Spider-Man. Like I can't do it anymore. Instead, he's like, I'm committing harder than I've ever been before to Spider-Man. Yeah. And then it's... Uh, and then this new villain massacre shows up who's basically a, a brain damaged guy that doesn't have any regard for life mm-hmm. kills a hostage 
And then the next issue is Spider-Man trying to save the hostages and stop massacre. And you get an interesting trio because you get uh, Spider-Man who's committed to every, saving every life. And you get Jameson who's mayor at this time who wants massacre killed. Mm-hmm. You tell, like the, the, the son or is the daughter, uh, the son of like the person that's been killed. Of one of uh, the victims, yeah. One of the victims. <laughs> Jameson he's, looks like he sits this poor kid down. Yeah, he's, he's like, like, hey, oh, I know yeah. you're grieving. I'm gonna freaking kill this guy. Yeah, like, yeah. He, I've decided he's dead. And the this the kid is looking up at him like with this horrified face, and like so. And James, so Jameson wants him dead, and then Massacre is like totally indifferent to life. Yeah, so you get this trio. And so, oh, Spider-Man's also lost his um, his spider sense. sense. Yeah, yeah, it's been lost. So he um, ends up making this um, bulletproof suit. Um, Super cool design. I, I really enjoy the design. I think obviously Martin drawing it is mm-hmm. makes it even better, <laughs> um, especially with the long lines and the long yeah. like, eye lines and all that sort of stuff. It's really cool. Um, so you know, you it, and it's all about Spider-Man trying to save every life, including massacres. Um, and I just think that I, I think that the nightmare obviously is like the highlight um, mm-hmm. of, of the story for me. Um, and I think this this story has a lot of parallels to um, another story that you picked. Yes, um, for sure. And uh, but I think it's beautiful. I think it's interesting that, you know, it's this um, massive amount of guilt, obviously, that he feels that he's tortured by. But this. Um, instead of like shying away from his responsibility, it's this massive like recommitment to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously he makes this promise that he can't, he can't keep. There's no way. There's no way that he can keep it. But right after he makes this promise, Master yeah. kills eight people. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then it ends. It says, uh, I can do this. It's not impossible. Not for me. I have great power, resources and resolve, and I will make this work. Not for Uncle Ben, Captain Stacy, Gwen, Marla, or any of the others I've failed in the past. This is for you, for all of the living, for everyone out there. I'm going to make you all proud. You'll see. I promise. It's great. What a, like, oh, it's yeah. so good. An like, uplifting story. It's an uplifting story in the end after everything's been so dark. Um, and like any great superhero story, this could be like the final Spider-Man story. Yeah. Like that's a boom. That's like... And off into the, you know. And he wore this costume forever. Yeah. And that was the last ever Spider-Man costume. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's great. I I really enjoy it. And um, again, I enjoy big time. And again, this really plays into it. This whole like commitment to be better than ever. Um, It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, again, like this is my first time reading this because I remember I was starting to really get into Spider-Man like around civil war uh which is a terrible time um to get into spider-man and when you know when one more day happened i was like oh, okay i kind of liked where we were so i'm not really <laughs> into this anymore and so i missed yeah. a good portion of this brand new day era mm-hmm. um obviously i've gone back and read 
a lot of this, but it kind of makes me want to go back and reread through that and through Big Time because there's yeah. there's so many good stories in this just in this period and this story specifically. Um, as a Superior Spider-Man fan, I had always kind of wondered where Massacre came from yeah. because he shows up in Superior Spider-Man if you've never read it, and I'm just like. Okay, everyone just knows who he is. So he's obviously mm. showed up here before. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just, it was very cool to be like, oh, hey, Massacre's here, which is not like how anyone would react to seeing him <laughs> in the story. But it was just, it was, as a Superior Spider-Man fan, it was cool to see that kind of connective tissue and it made me love yeah. the story more. And yeah. like you said, the Martine art is chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. want to talk about like, tone and atmosphere that he sets like in that first issue just leading up to the funeral the textless panels excellent just masterful work yeah um massacre not an interesting villain no not at all but a good tool for this story and for that superior story yeah and that full page spread of like after spidey has essentially disarmed him where he turns around and all of the laser sights are trained on him yeah. and it's like is spidey going to let this guy die because he's mm-hmm. killed so many people and yeah. then he doesn't and it's like ah that's exactly what i knew you would do you yeah. spider-man but it's okay because like, doc ock fixes that he really does <laughs> spoilers uh turns his so- head to a canoe <laughs> He, j- he turns him into a canoe and he's still on the Hudson River to this day. Uh, poor massacre. But uh, <laughs> um, but next up, we have a pick that I initially didn't have on this list, mm. but uh, rereading through it, I kind of wanted to put on this. I wanted an Ultimate Spider-Man issue, right? Mm-hmm. And there were lots of Ultimate Spider-Man issues to choose from. I think um, 65. Yeah was one that I have always been because it's the breakfast club issue, but Uh, I kind of wanted like with the rest of these stories to have not a whole lot of other stuff that you need to read going Mm -hmm. into it. Yeah. And with 65, it's just reeling off of like another Gwen Stacy death. And like, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in that issue. And this one uh, is ultimate comics, Spider-Man number 200. So this is right smack dab in the middle of the Miles Morales era. It is written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by, check this out, David Marquez, Stuart Immonen, David LaFuente, Mark Bagley, and Mark Brooks. Like a murderer's row <laughs> of incredible art talent. It is ridiculous how much was put into this issue. And this issue essentially is the anniversary issue. It is... Uh, two years since the death of Peter Parker in this story and in the Ultimate Universe. And everyone is just kind of getting together at Aunt May's house to go over it and to process it. And so you, it's kind of this closing the door on that era. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, Miles had been Spider-Man for a bit at this point. Um, he grown this new supporting cast he'd also gotten in touch with peter supporting cast and people have been you know changing and growing a lot of stuff has happened cataclysm happened we had um uh ultimate end i think was coming up to at this point we had uh galactus whole bunch of junk 
whole bunch of stuff happened here in the good old ultimate universe. But what's cool about this is this is once again, like very low stakes, very like personal connection. And so it brought together the entire supporting cast of both Miles and Peter's era. So we get to see characters like Bombshell. And then we get to see <laughs> characters like the Jessica, the Jessica Drew of this universe, which is a straight up female Peter Parker clone. And there's like, <laughs> If you've never read Ultimate Comics, it's it will feel very confusing, but you'll get used to it after a certain point. And there's this great bit, too, where it's like, because in the uh, Ultimate Comics, much like in 616, um, Peter's really tight with Human Torture with Iceman. And there's this great moment where, like, everybody's kind of flying towards uh, this area and you have... Uh, Firestar and Iceman meet up with Human Torch and they're flying next to him and he's like, okay, you guys are too close. And then his ice melts from under him, so he <laughs> falls. It's this great little gag. But what's really cool is that you get to see all these all of these characters together and kind of processing everything. Cause really when Peter died in the Ultimate Universe, they kind of immediately went to Miles. And it's just yeah. like we're just these people are handling their grief off panel. Mm-hmm. And so you get to see this celebration of not just Peter Parker, but the legacy he's left behind. All these characters who are still here after his passing. There's even this great moment where uh, Tony Stark got the invite, but he couldn't show up. So he sends this like whole catering service, like meant to feed like a hundred people here for this like 20 person gathering. And, we also get an update with a lot of kind of the weird stuff that happened in the in the ultimate <laughs> in the ultimate universe. Like we have uh, Gwen Stacy's alive here. With I'm not going to get into it. Um, she's carnage. She's carnage. <laughs> um, ultimate Gwen can't get enough. Uh, but we also get this sweet little um, reunion with uh, Kitty Pride, who in the ultimate universe was in a relationship with uh, with Peter, and it's the the thing that always sticks out to me is this great like five uh five or six page sequence where everyone kind of imagines what peter's Mm -hmm. life would have been if he had survived Mm -hmm. and it's got the art from all these incredible artists yeah uh, all the ones that i listed before and like you know some someone imagines him as like the leader of the ultimates someone imagines him as like creating essentially this spider uh the spider force helping out the the uh the police someone like says like yeah he'd take down the kingpin because he sucks and like my favorite is this one where you know they're like miles what do you think what do you think peter's life would have been like and it's this great little textless sequence where you just see ultimate peter and ultimate miles just like hanging out both as spider-man and it really is this celebration of um of the ultimate comics and of ultimate spider-man while also kind of closing the door on that and saying we're now going to go in a different direction and it leaves off with this nice little uh cliffhanger someone's watching and eventually spoilers turns out to be peter parker who somehow survived and takes the entire wind out of the sails of that Uh, death of spider-man what a mistake Um, (laughs) yeah big big mistake there but uh overall just as a single issue i think it's really cool and it really gives you this nice peek into this universe before they got rid of it all but yeah yeah uh i had read this one a really long time ago like when it came out i hadn't and hadn't read it since so it's been a while right 
been quite a while since this came out. Just a bit. Which is crazy. Yeah. Which is crazy to think. <laughs> 10 years, hasn't it? Yeah. Like al- almost. Years. I think this was a, oh, it's 2014. So oh, almost, we're getting okay. there. We're getting there. It'll be there before we know it. But um, and yeah, what a, a great issue. Um, yeah, not exactly new reader friendly with like the no. dynamics. Um, <laughs> but the um, all those, the, the double pages of imagining, you know, everyone imagining, you know, what they would think Peter would be doing if uh, if he was still alive is 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 funny and beautiful and heartbreaking and hopeful too right um because like you get to see how everyone sort of reacts in their own way to all that and uh, the kitty one is like so sad yeah too. it's hard like huge spread of them getting married and you know, being a life duo together. and yeah and then she's uh doesn't I don't want to think about that uh you know yeah um it's just it's it's a lot of fun it illustrates like again the flexibility of the character too and mm-hmm. uh, um yeah it's really enjoyable uh it's a great issue I think that I mean most ultimate spider-man is is great actually yeah. like most we have to mo- put that asterisk there yeah I mean I mean <laughs> Bendis wrote I don't know, like when you put it all together with Peter and Miles oh, he wrote sh- I don't know 250 issues like the fact that most of that is pretty great like that's that's really impressive (laughs) Uh, when so if someone hits like 20 issues of great comics you're like wow like this this is is a spider-man this is is great this is a classic good time (laughs) yeah 250 is like oh my god you know yeah um uh, maybe not after miles jumps into the regular marvel universe with bendis but no one really cares about that um um, not to say that I I don't that I do like Miles being you know still around. That's great. But agreed. Um, uh, they just need to take him away from Bettis eventually. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's really great. Um, I again I don't know why they brought, I don't know why they brought back Peter. It doesn't make any uh, sense. It, it doesn't, doesn't make, make any sense. And the whole thing of like oh the the formula that both him and Goblin have like will bring you back to life eventually is like there's no point. And there's no also. Point. Also, the fact very that lazy, you know, return of Superman and it happened right before Secret Wars. Yeah. So the fact that so it like, didn't matter anyway, it didn't matter. Like that whole universe is gone and they just wanted to, I guess, Bendis eventually was like, I just want to give Peter a happy ending and him and Mary Jane get together and they go off together into a world that gets blown up, by the way, you know, so that's really a happy ending, Bendis. Yeah. Um, which makes me think of. um I just imagine that their ending is a lot like, uh, did you ever read Jerry Duggan's uh, Deadpool? Yes. The, the secret wars finale <laughs> of his first volume, yes. which is like, like cataclysmically horrifying mm-hmm. and like sad and funny That's when they're like, yeah, everything's great. I'm, I'm with my family. <laughs> I make sure family we're out on a boat. And then our world blows up and he's like, this is exactly how I wanted it to be. Yeah. And they all just burn to death. And it's like, that's the end. And just imagine like, that's what happened to Peter, ultimate Peter and Mary Jane. It's like, Hey, we're just sitting at a coffee shop, having our nice little moment. And then boom, red skies. It's time to go. Explosion. Yeah. Uh, dead. But what yeah, overall, I mean, this story as kind of a celebration of Peter while also kind of closing the door on that, I thought worked really well. And it's one of those issues that doesn't always spring to mind, but I think it's, it's a good issue for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Before we get into our final two picks, which are very important, 
important and I think kind of mirror each other in a lot of ways. Uh, were there any picks that you left off? Not really. Uh, I was I came up with these and I think I just, I, with the amount of time that I had, I think I, I had my five and kind of, kind of went there. What about you? Cause there, there was one that I wanted to put on the list and almost did, but, and I think it's kind of, it's appropriate cause it's a what if issue. Okay. Uh, this is what if from 2018 and it is what if flash Thompson became Spider-Man. I don't and, think I've read this. Yeah, this was, um, I want to make sure, hold on. Let me pull this up real quick. Cause it was, uh, I believe it was, uh, Jerry Conway and, uh, it's, I can't remember the the, the name. It's uh, Olor Tegui. I know I said that wrong. <laughs> uh, but, but it's basically, it was like right around the time of, um, it was in 2018, so it was right around the time of, I think, Spider-Geddon. Um, uh, yes. Who knows? You know, that, that you know, universally that, celebrated Spider-Geddon. That classic. That real classic. But it, it was basically, you know, it was a take on what if, you know, with how big what if is right now um people forget that what if was kind of this thing that marvel did with like three comics every single like five years and this <laughs> yeah. was one of them and it's basically this alternate history where flash got bit instead of peter and mm -hmm. he just kind of goes around and he's just this dick to everyone because he he dresses in this admittedly super cool spider-man design i'm like really into this his costume but he doesn't have the web shooters he just goes around beating people up and like he's this deadbeat who doesn't like he has no future so he like quit high school to be spider-man full-time so he lives in this like trailer park and it's like just this awful version of spider-man where by the end he turns himself in for accidentally killing peter parker like it's very dark but it's a cool again it's a cool what if story and the way that it um brings flash to this point of wanting you to root for him it mm -hmm. bridges that gap between like um between like lee flash and like slot flash so oh, yeah. it's mm -hmm. it, it, it's a great little story but yeah so that's the only one that i kind of thought but the main two that we're gonna end on are two that came out the same year came out within months of each other mm -hmm. and are very similar in the way that they both ended some pretty celebrated runs yeah um and that is uh matt picked uh the final issue of spectacular spider-man uh at spectacular spidey uh 310 uh written and illustrated by chip zadarsky and i picked there for you which is uh amazing spider-man 801 written by dan slot and art by our boy marcos marti <laughs> so uh let's let's talk about these do which one do you want to dive into first i don't know i guess let's just kind of Blend it all around. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're overall very similar stories. Because mm -hmm. they were also, I mean, they were both wrapping up these runs that, I mean, the Zdarsky Spectacular Spider-Man run is one of my favorite runs of Spider-Man, mm -hmm. period. And yeah. the way that this wrapped up was just, I thought, perfect. There is, yeah. th there aren't a lot of comics that I look at, especially single issues, where I'm just like, that's a perfect story. And I think this is one of them. Yeah. And I would say to a just a slightly lesser extent, I feel the same way about uh, ASM 801. 
because mm-hmm. they're both just incredible stories. I agree. Don't really put Spider-Man in in the point of view character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much about the people whose lives are saved by him. Yeah. And whose lives are altered by him. Um, and that really um, talk about the impact that he has on other people's lives. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, beautiful because like both of these stories, I mean, especially slot who had been going on for so long, yeah. um, way too long, but too long. Uh, we'll all agree, you know, had finally wrapped up everything and then had one last little like thing to say about the character and Zdarsky had been, I don't know, was this like 20 issues or so that he yeah. did. And then, I mean, he said that he was done. I think that he didn't want to do a spider geddon like crossover. Yeah, because immediately like the next issue is the spider geddon crossover. And it's like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's finale. And then there's three more issues of Peter Parker, <laughs> the spectacular Spider-Man that are about crossing over spider geddon And it's like, I think the guy just didn't want to do that. Yeah. And so, you know, can't there's blame a, him. I mean, there's a long celebrated line of just comic book writers being like, I don't want to be in your event. I quit. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and uh, I really enjoy his art also here um, in Spectacular. Yeah. I He's am... got a cartoony, simpler sort of look to what he does. But it's fun seeing that in, in, in with, with Spider-Man. And, and I think it has more, um, more DNA in it than a lot of people, or at least I really expect, because I haven't read this in a while. And after reading all those comics, like I see a little bit of Martine in here. I see mm-hmm. a little bit of other Spidey's past and I mm-hmm. really, I dig it. I dig it a lot. And the, uh, the amazing Spider-Man issue is Martine who yeah. is just firing on all cylinders. Oh yeah. And it's again, this story where he had kind of told everything that he wanted to tell. And so he wanted to tell this very personal story that was just intimate a sole narrator essentially and we got to see how spider-man affected this guy ken for his essentially his entire adult life Mm -hmm. and i love oh man i love how martine draws young peter parker Mm because it's very ditko-esque with all like the more skinny looking face like the slant like the gangly limbs and just how he moves is very ditko and i just i love it yeah but this guy is basically like you know spidey saves him from this mugging and it's i think it says it's like literally three weeks after he becomes Mm spider-man and thanks to spider-man saving him from this uh from this robbery he's able to say goodbye to his dad who's passing away yeah, And then you see how much like him being part of his family's life has influenced the people around him, specifically yeah. his niece and nephew. Mm-hmm. And when uh, Spidey is facing off against the, uh, it's the demons from <laughs> essentially from Insomniac Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> oh, which, <my> gosh. <laughs> yeah. Which I, 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 I just, I thought, because it came out the same year. 2018 was a very good year for Spider-Man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, they kind of meet up again. And he's just like, hey, yeah, man, you saved me a long time ago. And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But thank you anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, like, he's he's talking to his, his niece. And she's just like, 
Man. We didn't get to see Captain America or Thor. It's freaking Spider-Man. <laughs> and he's just like, what are you talking? Like, he's super cool. She's like, he wasn't even like saving the world. And he gives this great, Kenneth does, he gives this great speech about how he d- saves someone's world every single day. Yeah. And there's this great two-page splash of just him like saving people. And then what you don't see in normal comics, which is the immediate after effect of that. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. He saves these two kids from being run into by the rhino. And then you see them hanging out. You mm-hmm. see him saving this woman from being dropped from a ridiculous height by the vulture. <laughs> and immediately she's hugging her child. Like, I yeah. I mark. Like, we talked about this before. I mark out super hard to shit like this. <laughs> like it's so good it, it, it makes me cry me. Yeah, yeah same yeah i i had a hard time getting through both of these issues yeah and um and also and i've talked about this before on the podcast i like to listen to music while i uh read and sometimes the music just hits just right mm-hmm. and uh when he mentions he's like you know somebody's mom somebody's son somebody's uncle and she goes like they're uncles and he's like yeah you know it's, he saves somebody's uncle every single day and she's like oh okay i guess he's cool are you coming, Uncle Ken? And it, it, the Uncle Ken breaks my heart every time. Yeah. Like, yeah. it really, because it's set up at the beginning. His name is Kenneth, and he's an uncle. But, yeah. like, when she says Uncle Ken, it just, it breaks my heart. And he just she says, like, you coming or what? And he's like, yeah, I'm here. I'll always be here for you. And that last. Uh, if, if Spider-Man's swinging away in, into the into the sky. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's that so classic like Christopher Reeve like wink to the camera where it's like, hey, no matter what, I'm out here and I'm here yeah. and I'm rooting for you. Yeah, like it's so good. It's it's, it's this type of stuff that's like, I, of all the Spider-Man can have so many bad comics yeah. every year, and then like this stuff happens, and you're like, like. I'm so glad that Spider-Man exists. Yeah, like, man. Oh, what, a, what a great character. Like, and it's what, yeah, it's, and that's the fun still of reading through tons of comics, tons of Spider-Man comics too. Yeah. Where you're like, you're like, Oh, this is pretty dire. Like yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> heavy then, stuff. And like things turn around and you're like, and then the great stories happen again. And you're like, Oh, I love you. Spider-Man. Like it's yeah. so good. And well, it's, and it's, it's funny. Cause like, as as long as he was on the character, like Dan Slott's run is incredibly polarizing. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people love it, a lot of people hate it, and I fall somewhere in between because there are arcs that I absolutely adore. And oh yeah, there's some stuff where I'm like, I cannot get into this at all. <laughs> Spider said, Island. Uh, um, what I like Spider <laughs> Island. <laughs> <laughs> there there are some good things about Spider Island. They but... get to be Spider Men and women. Cool. <laughs> cool. honestly on, i mean the thing about his run is that he was on for so long he literally said everything he could possibly say everything he's, he could say he must have had a giant list of like here's all the possible like ideas right story beats villains uh themes you know plot beats got them all he's like and he got to be on there until the list literally ran out yeah and i guess the last thing that he had is like pandora's <laughs> box he got this last little thing right and it's spider-man Amazing Spider-Man 801 is right there at the bottom of the box. And he was able to get all the way down to the bottom of the box. And this one story came out and it's like, I guess it was worth it. And I love the idea of that. Cause that that's, this feels like a very like day one. Okay. What kind of Spider-Man story do I want to write? 
mm-hmm. and then he just kind of set it off to the side for a little while. Yeah. And like a little while know, being 10 years. Being 10 years, right? I mean, and, I don't know about you, but I'm very excited for when no one likes Spider-Man Beyond and it fails and in a year from now slots back on ASM. Whoa. <laughs> I am I don't want to say that Spider-Man Beyond is going to be a failure before it happens because I want when, to have faith when, in my boy Ben Riley. When Kelly Thompson gets Hickman and uh and <laughs> all of my dreams down just the dip, down just the get... <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh i i i really i i want kelly thompson to succeed with spider-man so badly oh yeah i mean it's awesome that she's on i mean there's really no no women writers of spider-man no. like... give, give me give kelly thompson spider-man for 10 years let her s- give her the Let's slot treatment happens. See what happens. Especially because she's working with a bunch of other writers too. That yeah. it's the it's the brain trust again, like they did it's with Brandy Day. Day. Yeah. So go for it. You know, let's see what she's got. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, so Spider Man eight hundred one, I think, is a great send off to Slots era with all of the ridiculous stuff that he did. It was a great like contained story that was very emotional, very simple, and very um, yeah uh, intimate. Yeah. Absolutely. And as far as, uh, well, it's funny because it seems like Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man and um, Tom Taylor's Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man were made because Slot had, a, Slot had a death grip on ASM. <laughs> yes, and they were like, we do need other Spider-Man stories by other people. So they made <laughs> these other ongoing titles with smaller focus, uh, both of them, and uh, their own unique tones. And I think and that's another good thing that came out. It was this, you know, the, the, the variety that came out and as far as um three uh, spectacular 310 um goes i only have one question which is what are your feelings on ketchup on hot dogs okay so here's the thing do you or do you not agree that it is hot dog icing for most of my (laughs) life i would say yes Mm -hmm. okay okay i would say ketchup is required on hot dogs Mm mm-hmm and mustard is the devil. Okay. But in the last year and a half or so, I have begun to come around to the church of mustard on hot dogs. And I am beginning to utilize both. Because okay. um, like for the longest time when I grew up, like it was ketchup or bust, like ketchup on hot dogs. And that's all that's on there. So when I read this initially, cause this was during that period, I was mm-hmm. like, finally a superhero <laughs> that speaks to me, a superhero <laughs> that I can see myself. in. <laughs> How do you feel? About I love, I love dogs? ketchup on hot dogs. I think you gotta have ketchup on hot dogs. Yeah. It's not a hot dog without ketchup. I mean, yeah. would you have, a, would you call it a cake if it didn't have frosting? uh i just love that bit i mean the general so the general hook of the story is two things someone's making a documentary about spider-man and you get a bunch of talking heads and then there's this uh kid that uh spider-man saves and is in his life and the two paths sort of intersect um tragically uh eventually it's really heartbreaking it's heartbreaking reading this i cry every time i read this issue the I mean again talking about like use of like silent panels, um, yes. Him coming to see him and he's the kid has been killed by this gang that he was 
connected to um, that Spider-Man was trying to get him out of and trying to turn his life around. And uh, the the mother just like her face like broken, just yeah. like you know crumpling Collapsing into him. And him eventually like crying, you know, on the rooftop by himself, just like totally devastated also. But then in between is um, him finding them, you know. You, oh, my God. And it was yeah. it is legit kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. The page yeah. where you see like the guy's eyes and him just descending on them because it's yeah. like that is. And I love that it also parallels his first story where he corners mm-hmm. these guys in a warehouse on the docks. Mm, yeah and it's i hadn't thought about that yeah, yeah. it it i i don't know like again like if there is ever someone who is like hey i don't get spider-man like what would you recommend that i read it's this issue mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. is a perfect spider-man story yeah and it's amazing yeah, yeah you get to see all these people like talk about him and i love issues like this this was what i loved about the end of um aaron's wolverine run was that issue where it's like everyone oh yeah very speaking much like about what you know spider-man means to them this is um, much better than that one though. much better than it but um it's still just like everyone like having differing opinions you see people who love him people who hate him uh there's one, <laughs> there's one little girl who confused him for daredevil um where she's like he threw a spidey stick at him and it was great (laughs) and i knew that would pop back but like it's it's just it's very cool and like getting that like six like five or six page sequence that just has no dialogue and it's just spidey finding out about kyle him tracking these guys down descending on them and then th- it's every time I'm, I'm getting choked, choked up looking at it right now. Um, just him just like crumpled it on the top on this rooftop and yeah. like just sobbing. It mm-hmm. just never fails. Yeah. But what's great about it is that, yes, there's tragedy in this. But the very next page, what the mom says about mm-hmm. Spider-Man yeah. is incredible. Yeah, and it is like that thesis statement on Spider-Man, like who Spider-Man is. And it to me, this is, you know, why he's important as a character. Mm-hmm. And the little reveal at the end, which if, if, if you haven't read this, I'm not going to spoil this reveal because mm-hmm. you owe it to yourself to go and read this book. Um, Read the entire run. Do yourself a favor. It's great. There's a great little time travel story with Joe Canones on art that I absolutely adore. Oh, yeah. But uh, the you find out like the story behind the uh, the the guy who's doing the documentary and how he ran into Spider-Man, which is very similar to Uncle <laughs> Kenneth, where during a fight, you know, he's on his he's 15. He's on his way to to a date and he gets garbage splattered all over him. So Peter, who is. <laughs> it looks to be like the same age if not just a little bit older just like gives him his spare clothes and swings away and it's the classic uh v- black vest <laughs> with the red tie <laughs> yeah and it's and he has this moment where he's like oh man i remember that he's like how'd the date go and he's like i was 15 how do you think it went <laughs> and i was like oh that's too real but <laughs> Yeah, and the the final page of this like has this great little reveal on how this whole thing came to be and I just I don't know, man, like it is a it is what Spider-Man is. 
when I yeah. finished reading this for the first time after crying, after going through all these emotions, I was like, I love Spider-Man. Yeah. And if you don't feel that way after reading this issue, I don't know what your deal is. He's such a comforting character in the end. Yeah. And that's a lot of this too. And especially these two issues and some of the other ones. Um, you know, my uh, favorite character is Daredevil, as you mentioned. What? Uh, Since when? <laughs> whenever, <laughs> whenever I read something and he pops up, you know that that meme of the woman going, Beyonce? Uh, it's daredevil (laughs) or it's that that like leo dicaprio like pointing at the tv yeah exactly yeah that's me but daredevil is compelling because he's so you know messy and conflicted and and you want to just slap him but you also want (laughs) to hug him um and spider-man has flaws too but in the end spider-man's just like ah like he's like a warm blanket sometimes you know he's just so like ah he's like oh you you're beautiful like you know (laughs) um and that's what these two issues really speak to in the end um and a lot of the other ones too um it's just like such a like a comfort you know um this reminded me of um did you have you read the i forget who wrote it but it's the single page story from marvel comics 1000 have you read this oh it's called ben um i don't want to spoil it for you i I know i read it i know i read the issue but i i'm blanking on it right now all right, hold on. I want to send it to you so you can read it because it's one page. Yeah. Because um, I, I don't know, like I, a lot of comics just bleed together for me. And that that comic in itself was just so much stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was just like slamming you with as many stories as possible. The Masked Rider. Gosh. Here, let me, <laughs> okay, I'm going to, this is boring uh, uh so we're, we're gonna vamp right here so cm punk is yes, uh, <laughs> talk to me more about what do you think he's gonna do the uh the, the go to sleep still or is he gonna bring back the pepsi plunge he better bring back the pepsi plunge if for nothing else than for them to say it's a top rope pedigree <laughs> to stick it to hunter one last time Oh, do you really need to stick it to Hunter these days? I mean, Vince is doing You're right. He has suffered enough in the last week or so. (laughs) That poor man. NXT. Um, Okay, I just sent it to you. Did you hear that story of like, we are NXT. We were NXT. Oh, gosh. At at the latest like taping. Oh, I don't know. They they did that like chant that like, we are NXT. And somebody like audibly you could hear goes, we were NXT. And it's like, oh, Okay, yes, yes, I read this. Yeah, so it's... Um, Brad Meltzer the, killing it as always. Oh, it's Brad Meltzer, yeah. Okay, um, so um, he saves the life of a, of a pregnant woman. And, oh, you know, she's like, you know, I'll just do, tell me your real name. You know, just do this one thing. You know, you saved my life, saved the life of my, of my boy. You know, to honor him, you know, I'm going to name him after you. Um, just tell me your name. Thanks for a second, goes... Ben, Ben, that's a good name. And then you see all these people naming their kid oh. Ben. We're calling him Ben. His name is Ben. We're calling him Ben. Meet your new brother, Ben. Ben, we're calling him Ben, Ben, Ben. And it's just, ah. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Ah, oh, it's yeah, so beautiful. It's, and Spider-Man is one of those characters, as, as we're wrapping up here, Spider-Man has always been one of those characters that I, like you said, have found really like comfort in. Mm-hmm. Um, he's that character who it's like, 
if I'm ever like in a really like like stressful place or if I'm in like a dark place and I like am looking for comfort, you know, Spider-Man's kind of always there. He's that guy who's per- like just perennially like lifting the heavy machinery. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, this sucks, but we got to get through it, man. <laughs> and like that's that's Spider-Man's whole deal. Like he is very often written and portrayed as this like completely downer character and while that is absolutely part of his part of his kit not so much as matt murdoch but it is absolutely part of his character he is that guy who is just kind of doing his best and that's always what is spoken to me about the character peter Mm -hmm. parker is this guy who is constantly dealing with parker luck he is dealing with all of the stuff that everyday people go through but he's still finding time to help others because that's what heroes do and that's what everybody should do and the this specifically this story that like you reminded me of like you know he's had this conversation with a hundred thousand people about like oh what should i name what should i name my child and like it's the the idea that the death of his uncle ben inspired every single thing that has happened to him since and every single thing that he's done since then is like it's unquantifiable he is this character who is constantly going to be there he's this character who's constantly going to be fighting for the little guy who's constantly going to be just trying to help yeah. And he is, he's just, he's not going to stop. And that's yeah. kind of what's always spoken to me about the character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, and that's, uh, that's, you see it all in, in these, these stories. And um, I mean, again, the, the power of the, the short stories is that you really drill into, uh, into that, you know, into yeah. that specific niche of the character. Um, as <laughs> reminded of, uh, did you read Zdarsky's Howard the Duck? Yes. And the Spider-Man sort of has a, a small recurring role where he continues mm-hmm. to make fun of him in that. Yeah. Where he runs into Howard and the <laughs> Howard gets like, it looks like he's been like evaporated, but he's sent to another world. Spider-Man swings in and goes, uh, and there's just a scorched mark where he used to be. He says, uh, hey, miss, have you seen the duck, but not a duck screaming for his life? And he sees the, you know, the, the charred part and he goes, <laughs> yeah. oh, no. Oh no! Oh no! Oh, uh, 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 Uncle Uncle Ben, no, Uncle Ben, sorry, <laughs> Uncle Ben. <laughs> he's always tormented, you know. He's just, that's just he's the type of guy. And that's the that's great really thing about him. him. Show. That that's the great thing about him too, because like I, there was another issue that I wanted to involve in this, but I kind of I didn't want to because it wasn't a Spider-Man issue. Mm-hmm. But Doctor Strange three ninety by uh by kate's and irving oh with um, the peter features, meets his actual yeah <laughs> this great little like you want to talk to spiders peter and he just like has this face like <laughs> oh yeah no. and it like <laughs> if you have never read this issue it's it's again like a quick little one-off that you can check out uh, it's dr strange 390 and it includes this one page where it's just kate's and zadarsky 
Uh, I want to say it's Zdarsky on art and Kate's writing. Exactly, and it, yeah. it's just Spider-Man spends this day with this spider that he can finally talk to. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like really funny and abstract and absurd. It gets really dark at the end. Yeah. But anytime that Spider-Man shows up, I do that same thing that you do with uh, with yeah. the Beyonce Daredevil. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, Spider-Man's here. Great. I love this. I love when he's involved. It's um, like uh, the opposite of whenever Cyclops shows up for me. Hey, hey, <laughs> get out of here. Th- this is ruining the part a perfectly good comic. <laughs> this is the part I'm going to edit out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Matt, it's it's always a pleasure, man. Always good to get oh, you on here, especially to talk about comics and comic books. So I'm a fan. I'm a fan of them. I've 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 read a, a couple, so I think I'm starting to like these. Finally, you've you've convinced me to start awesome. reading. My job here books. is done. We we made it finally. <laughs> um, but if our listeners have not already, and they want to uh, follow all the things that you do, where can they find you? Yes, uh, you can find me on YouTube on my channel Matt Draper, which is my name uh, mostly, and then also on Twitter. Matt Draper YT stands for YouTube, where I yell at people and I tell them how I'm the best in the world. And I've been the best in the world since the day I walked into this company. (laughs) On the mic, in that (laughs) ring, even in commentary. Nobody can touch (laughs) Matt. Exactly. Yeah, drop a little pipe bomb. Usually I drop a pipe bomb on on Comic Tube (laughs) once a month. (laughs) These days it seems. Um, And uh, yeah, so you can find me there. Uh, I time of this recording i just released a video about roger stern's spider-man so it's perfect little synergy here um next time we come on we're going to talk about todd mcfarland's spider-man torment uh what yeah that's what we're gonna do that's our next one it's gonna be terrible it's gonna be a real tragedy you and me talking torment (laughs) book it it's on the books what (laughs) that's it i just booked it right now live on the air spider-man torment matt draper eric azana bunch of Really be there, dumb, be dumb square. Cr- little dumb crap. We're gonna talk about it on Sunday in a cage. In a cage. <laughs> I got you for thirty minutes. <laughs> I love the. I love that look. I'm glad I surprised you with that one. We're not actually. <laughs> no, I don't really want to talk about Spider-Man torment. No, this part. This is the part I'm editing out. Now okay. I'm just gonna cut it right at right <laughs> at you saying Spider-Man torment, and then we're just gonna cut. It's gonna Boom. be a hard cut. Hard cut. End of episode. <laughs> go into the go into the the pick of the week. Uh. <laughs> by the way you said something on twitter you called me out the other like uh it was recently on how i say pick of the week i love it and i've been tormented every single week no, since a, every it's time a i say it. it's a positive <laughs> it's a good thing the way you say it can you say it now okay all right all right again the character the pick of the week of last week I love it. It's fat. It's a, it's like one word. Pick it is. Week. It's all one word. Yeah. This entire podcast it. is just one word. Every week, <laughs> hour thirty of just one word. <laughs> but it's um, I'm a fan. always don't think about it. Own you. it. <laughs> Own it. Book it. Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> um, Matt, thank you so much as always for coming on the show, man. I'm a huge fan of yours. I can't wait to see this Roger Stern Spider-Man video. And like he said, by the time that you are listening to this, that video is probably already out. So go watch it. It's a great companion piece to this 
So uh, just just when you go onto YouTube and you comment on it, say, hey, I love this Geeksplain tie-in. This was a great, yes. great video. I'm going to put that up on a flashing, just a constant <laughs> little strobe. Geeksplain tie-in, Geeksplain tie-in, Geeksplain tie-in. Over and over and over. It's People are going to maybe either love it and get hypnotized by it or... Um, or they're going to be like, what was happening? Did <laughs> YouTube mess up the... <laughs> Did YouTube mess up the, the formatting of this? This is weird. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. Obviously, I'm a huge fan too. So uh, yeah, this is always so much fun. And again, we'll be back on uh, for Spider-Man Torment. Uh, Spider-Man talking Torment. About, talking about lizards and the drums. Constant get ready, time. true believers. Yeah. Yeah. Dark, We're... stupid stuff. Dark stupid, stuff. Dark stupid stuff. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you decide to pick up your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And... It was tough because we had a lot of great comic books come out last week, but the one that stole my heart away from cover to cover and I couldn't stop thinking about it for the rest of the night after reading it was Nightwing 83, written by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. It just, you know, ugh, I loved it, man. Like, Nightwing is my... F might just be my favorite comic going on right now. Every single time I get to pick up a new issue, it's like, it's a warm hug. It's a comfort comic. And so having Nightwing step into the light here, having Nightwing really kind of take this place on the world stage that he hadn't really had done before was really awesome there's also a wonderful conversation that he has with superman that absolutely made my heart sing so uh yeah pick it up pick up this whole run so far because tom taylor and bruno redondo just kick things into high gear for dick grayson but that's last week's books this week oh man we have we have 15 books to talk about <laughs> technically 16 because uh i went into my comic book shop last week to find that uh blue and gold number two had been delayed to this week i'm not going to go over the uh synopsis again for that book because i already did it last week but keep on the lookout blue and gold number two should be coming out this week alongside 15 other books so without further ado let's go ahead and dive into this monster of a list kicking things off with a brand new number one this is superman versus lobo number one one, this is written by Tim Seeley and Sarah Beatty with art by Mirka Andolfo. And you know what? I am over Lobo, but I really dig this creative team. Um, Seeley and Beatty have been killing it for a good long while now on their Money Shot book. And Andolfo is a great pickup for an artist. So, so freaking good. Um, but yeah, I am I am tentative on how interested I am in this, just because, like, Lobo's never really appealed to me as a character. But uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. What happens when an indomitable force meets an irritating object? That's what readers find out when Superman runs into Lobo. Think of it like a Boy Scout joining a biker gang. What will be worse, the damage Lobo causes on his own or the chaos of trying to stop him? I smell a team-up, fanboys! 
So I think I this this sounds really fun. It sounds like something that you don't really have to invest too much into. Um, I'm really, really interested to see what they do with this and if they make me interested in a Lobo story. Next up, we have Teen Titans Academy number six. This is written by Tim Sheridan with art by Rafa Sandoval. And you know what? I've been really enjoying Teen Titans Academy recently. I loved the last issue that focused on the backpack. And this cover is very interesting as well. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. When an entire town in upstate New York turns on the students of Teen Titans Academy, while the adult Titans are on a mission, Gorilla Greg, Chupacabra, and the other new students find themselves fighting for their lives against a chaotic mob. But is there something driving the town's madness more than just intolerance? So this sounds really interesting, having like the kids have to go up against an angry mob. Um, yeah, this is... Teen Titans Academy and another book that's on later on in this list are kind of this one-two punch for really fun all-ages reading. So I've been enjoying it. Next up, we have Wonder Woman number 778. This is written by Jordi Belair, Michael Conrad, and Becky Cloonan with art by Paulina Gaudichaud and Travis Moore. Travis Moore finally coming back. Um... This is looking to be, we're, we're heading into the end game of this Diana and the God Sphere storyline. Um, they've caught up mostly to Janus. They've, you know, had a couple clashes with Janus so far. And it looks like they are going to be heading into the final stretch of this story. So I'm interested to see how they wrap it all up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Hot on the trail of Janus, Diana and her allies embark on a whirlwind adventure through the entire map of the multiverse. Phantom Zone, Fifth Dimension, and Gemworld, oh my. Like the future, Janus's path through space and time is unpredictable. Will Wonder Woman ever catch her, or could this be the end of everything as we know it? The tale behind Paradise Island's creation continues as Hippolyta's greatest regret is revealed. Can Diana forgive her mother for the past? And what does this revelation mean for the future of the Amazons? So yeah, big, big stuff. Lots of, uh, lots of stakes, lots of drama. So interested to pick this up for sure. And I'm glad to see Travis Moore back on the book. Next up, we have Batman Superman number 21. This is written by Gene Lun Yang with art by Ivan Race. And, ah, man, it's just, every single time this book comes up, I get really excited and I get really sad again. Because <laughs> I know that there's just like a couple more issues out of this, I think. I think it's 23 is where this ends. But Either way, I'm still really enjoying the ride. The cover for this is gorgeous. I just I love that old school Batman design that they uh, trotted out for this arc. I just I really really dig it. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The dimension-shattering archive of world saga ends here, and reverberations from this titanic tale last long after the dust settles. As the Dark Knight and the Man of Steel work to halt the villainous Artur.io's plan here on Earth Zero, the Batman and Superman of their respective archive worlds must team up with Alana of Ran and El Diablo himself to save what's left of their homes. Etrigan and his demon hordes rain Armageddon down on their pockets universes, and the fate of the world of tomorrow and the world of the night hang in the balance. Like I said, high drama. Um, I'm really, I'm 
that's very interesting that they're wrapping the uh, this arc off here. And yet, I think, like I said, I think there's going to be two more issues. But I don't know. I don't know what's happening here. Like I said, I'm just along for the ride. Really enjoying this book. Looking forward to picking it up. Next up, we have Wonder Girl number three. This is written and illustrated by Joelle Jones with uh, colors by Jordi Belair. Jordi is the best. Um, this book has been fantastic. I think it's uh, still too early to say on how successful the book is and the character of Yara Floor is outside of the Future State event. Future State was kind of that flagship, like Yara is the you know character coming out of Future State, alongside it, Jace Fox as well. But um, I think just from profile-wise, for some reason, Yara, at least to me, from what I can tell, has been higher profile, even though like Jace has been getting, like, multiple miniseries since feature state i don't know but i'm really enjoying it so far the art's gorgeous and i really dig yara as a character so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here homecoming part three let the training commence now crowned Hera's champion yara needs to start acting like one enter eros the goddess's favorite grandson and god of love can Yara resist his charms long enough to master her unpredictable new powers? All the gods are watching. Are you? I. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how they build Yara up because there's a lot of possibilities for her as a character, and she could pretty much go in any direction. Next up, we have Infinite Frontier number five. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Paul Pelletier and Zermanico, as well as Jesus Marino. Uh, this book's been really good so far. I've really enjoyed the different narratives going along. I was kind of expecting them all to be... Uh, on one story, but we've got, like, Roy doing his deal with the, um, with the lost members of the Justice Society, we've got, uh, uh, Alan Scott and Obsidian doing their thing. We've got, you know, the Justice League Incarnate now wrapped up against Darkseid. Uh, this is the penultimate issue for this miniseries before it goes into the Justice League Incarnate miniseries. So really looking forward to seeing what they do here. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Roy Harper finds himself forced to do things on his own. He's been through a lot since he was Green Arrow's sidekick, and usually the only person he can count on is himself. Hence, he's hiding the fact that he's back from the dead from his old friends. He comes across Jade, who has also been stranded by herself. Can he help her while letting her help him? Because neither of them can handle Darkseid all by their lonesome. Meanwhile, Barry Allen sends out a call. It's time for all the heroes exploring the infinite frontier to come to the Omega planet. So yeah, Darkseid is here. He is... He. T I still... I'm looking at this cover because it's showing this final version of Darkseid. He, he still looks naked. I'm sorry, he does. Um, they had little shorts on him in the... Uh, in I think in Infinite Frontier number zero. But... Everything that I've seen from it, it just I'm I'm not I sh I'm sure it's a bodysuit, but like he just looks naked, and I think that's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I've been enjoying this so far. Looking forward to seeing what they do next. Next up, we have Action Comics number ten thirty four. This is written by Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, and Philip Kennedy Johnson, with art by Daniel Sampier and Michael Avon Oming. 
I am very, uh, I don't know how to feel about this because I really, really dig uh, Superman action comics right now. I dig the Johnson era, but there's been some rumblings that Sam Pierre is going to be leaving soon, leaving the book, uh, and that worries me. Because I, I mean, I like having artists and writer teams stick together, and this is, in essence, you know, not just a written but also a visual medium. So art is very important to me. But I am really enjoying this arc, this you know, War World Rising. It's got a ton of intrigue, gorgeous art, lots of twists and turns. So I've been loving it. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. War World Rising, Part 5, Slash The Passenger, Part 6. The Warzoons make their way to the doorstep of the Fortress of Solitude, and only Lois Lane and the alien girl Thou La are there to defend it. That's because Superman is halfway around the world trying to stop the US from declaring war on Atlantis. The Man of Steel must make a tough choice, and odds are no one walks away happy. Elsewhere in Metropolis, Midnighter moves closer to the center of Trojan's empire in the penultimate chapter of his backup adventure. The story finishes later this month with the Midnighter 2021 annual. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I've I've made it you know abundantly clear, I think, so far uh, that I really am not into the Midnighter backups. So I'm wondering what the backup is going to be following this issue. We'll just have to see. Next up, we have Strange Academy number 12. This is written by Scotty Young with art by Umberto Ramos. And this is the book I was alluding to. This, coupled with Teen Titans Academy, is a great one-two punch if you're looking to get maybe perhaps younger readers to get into comics. It's a great, great way to establish these new characters. And, I mean, out of the two, Strange Academy has been knocking it out of the park for me. Strange Academy is the clear, you know, better of the two but that being said it's got twice as many issues currently out so uh it's hard to judge but i've been really enjoying strange academy i love all the characters and i really dig some of the bigger mysteries that the series is posing to its readers so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the person who shattered Toth is revealed, and it brings the second story arc of Strange Academy to a rip-roaring climax. Pieces of the Marvel Universe and Doctor Strange's past come back to haunt not Stephen Strange, but the students of the Strange Academy. But that doesn't wash the hands of the person at Strange Academy who may just bring the whole school down. That sounds really cool. I dig that. I'm really, really interested. They ha- they gave us a hell of a cliffhanger to uh, end off last issue, and I'm really excited to see where they take that character that they reintroduced. Next up, we have Robin number five. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Gleb Melnikov. And Robin's been really good. I've talked about before, and I think I mentioned it probably last week as well, that... I really wanted a Tim Drake book, and I was really disappointed when it was revealed that this new Robin title was going to be once again a Damian Wayne book. 
But with everything going on with Tim Drake, I'm glad that he has been able to get the time to shine in Urban Legends. And he's going to be part of this little Robin reunion in this book. So I'm getting plenty of Tim Drake content. I just wish I had more. But the book's been really good so far. I dig all the anime references. I dig that that's, you know, anime tournament arcs are kind of the inspiration for this book. So that speaks to me. And I've been really liking it so far. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Robin Reunion. Nightwing, Red Hood, Tim Drake, and Spoiler guest star as they track Damien down with a plan to bring the young hero back to Gotham. Back to his family. But the son of Batman plans to win the Lazarus Tournament and refuses to return. What starts as a happy reunion quickly turns into a Robin Rumble. So I, I mean, I'm down for that. I really dig that. I, it weirds me out that that, you know, that for that first second line is like Nightwing, Red Hood, spoiler, Tim Drake. Um, I think if you weren't going to make him Robin, make him Red Robin again, give him the costume, give him the Red Robin costume, not the new 52 costume, the cooler one. But, um, while Tim's still trying to figure out what's going on with him, I guess we just have to call him Tim, but we're going to get a Robin battle Royale and I am all for it. Next up, we have the United States of Captain America. Number three, this is written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Dale Eaglesham and Darcy and, uh, David Cutler with uh, the backup written by Darcy Little Badger. Um, this is going to be introducing us to Joe Gomez, the next Captain America on the list. I've been enjoying this so far. I admit, I'm going to admit this right now. I it definitely is not the book that I was expecting. Um, but I think that as a story, as a celebration of Captain America, it's working really well, and I am really interested to see what they do with this story but let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the shield thief targets a cultural landmark in kansas hoping to put a permanent stain on captain america's image sam and steve are hot on his trail and aided by joe gomez the kickapoo tribe's own captain america but there's more to the thieves' agenda than meets the eye. Are the three caps headed straight into a trap? And do they have any other choice? So yeah, I think the design for Joe Gomez is stellar. I think it's super freaking cool. If you haven't seen it yet, just go on Google, whatever you want to do. Like Google uh, Joe Gomez, Captain America. The costume's awesome. And he sounds like a really cool character. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Superman, Son of Kal-El, number two, written by Tom Taylor with art by John Timms, and I really dug the first issue. I thought it was a great opening chapter for John. It looks like he is going to be... I think he's getting a new costume in this issue, uh, this issue or next issue, but... Uh, it's just, it's really, really cool to see uh, Tom Taylor finally be able to write Superman, even though it's not the Superman that I thought he was going to be writing. But I really dig the uh, setups for everything that John is going to have to face. I trust in this creative team, and I'm looking forward to picking this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Jonathan Kent now dons his father's cape. But can he be Superman and still have a normal life? It's tough in this modern world. Danger is everywhere. The new Superman learns this the hard way on his first day of college. And a deadly attack forces John to step from the shadows and into the spotlight, where his identity is exposed to the truth, an activist news machine ready to upset everything. But first, the son still has some things to learn from his his father, and a few cool toys to inherit. Ask yourself, what would you do with your very own Fortress of Solitude? This all-new chapter in the legacy of the Man of Steel has only just begun to reveal its surprises. So, lots of stuff to get into that. We're talking about identity, we're talking about uh, inheritance, we're talking about possibly some more Clark seeds, which I just, I love Tom Taylor writing Superman, and getting Tom Taylor in books two weeks in a row really does make my heart sing, so I can't wait to read this. Next up, we have another new number one, but this is, uh, this one's pretty special for me. This is Spider-Man Life Story Annual Number One, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Mark Bagley. They are back. They are back for one issue only. Uh, we talked about this when it was announced, probably either, if not earlier this year than last year. Um, I love Spider-Man Life Story. It's one of my favorite Spider-Man comics of all time um i did a whole episode on it you can hear you can hear me cry about this comic on this podcast uh go back in the archives check that episode out i love that episode and i love this comic and when i heard that they were going to do an issue kind of touching back on that universe on that story but focusing on J. Jonah Jameson I was all on board because unfortunately with all of the time hopping and all the twists and turns that Zdarsky and Bagley put into the story there just wasn't enough time to give to certain characters and J. Jonah Jameson was one of them so I'm excited that we get to dip back into this world to find out what JJ is up to let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here A special encore return to the world of Spider-Man life story by the original creative team, Spider-Man. He's a threat. He's a menace. And J. Jonah Jameson will do whatever it takes to make the world see it. But, in this companion piece to last year's hit miniseries Spider-Man life story, will the decades of his obsession bear fruit for Jonah, or be his destruction? Chip Zdarsky and Mark Bagley reunite for this story told in a world where Marvel's beloved characters aged in real time. So yeah, I dig it. I'm really excited about this. I love Chip Zdarsky writing Spider-Man, and I love when he writes Jonah. I If you haven't read the uh, Spider-Man, or the Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man run by Zdarsky, do yourself a favor, go check that out. I love it so much. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1042. This is written by Matthew Rosenberg and Mariko Tamaki, with art by Dan Mora and Derek Robertson. And what can I say? This is the best Bat book that's going on right now. It's been fantastic. I really dig everything that's going on with this so far. And I like the backups. That's the key here. I've liked every single backup that this book has featured. That kind of sets it apart from the Action Comics book where I really dig, and the Wonder Woman book as well, where I really dig the main story, but I'm not super into the backup. This one has been from cover to cover just fantastic. And it's continuing on with 
the uh, Task Force Z teases, but this whole story with Vile and with Mr. Worth has been wonderful. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Jury, Part 2, slash What the Hell is Task Force Z, Part 2. Batman rampages through the underworld of Gotham. Driven to a violent madness courtesy of the jury's vile serum, the Dark Knight crushes bones, makes a scene, and gives costumed vigilantes in Gotham a very bad name. But will the jury's plan backfire? Can a violent rage machine packed with money, weapons, and an insatiable bloodlust possibly end well for Mr. Worth and his jury? The giant plunge from a building might be the answer. Countdown to Task Force Z, Part 2. When Red Hood shows up in your apartment, you know you've done something drastically wrong. Jason Todd teams up with Deb Donovan to uncover the mysterious disappearances in Gotham, and their search brings them to the missing body of Bane. Look alive, because death seems to be knocking at the door. So yeah, I just, ah, man, I love both of these stories. I love where they're taking Batman in this story. It's freaking great. It just really is. Uh, next up, we have Thor, number 16, written by Donny Cates, with art by Michelle, uh, Michelle Bandini. I hope I said that right. If I didn't, I apologize. Uh, you know how bad I am at this. But I am very intrigued, especially after accidentally seeing a preview for this week's issue. Um, there's a lot going on, and it's got Thor versus Odin, so there's a lot that we have to cover here. I'm looking forward to picking this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Revelations Part 2 Thor has only known two things, being a warrior and wielding a hammer. But he is realizing that in order to be the best ruler of Asgard that he can be, he must give up those two things. Who is Thor without them? And hostilities between Thor and Odin reach a boiling point as Revelations continues to uproot Thor's entire world. I just, man, I love that. I love that we're diving into Thor's past. I, I've been really enjoying it. Some people have been saying, you know, like, oh, why are we doing Thor and the Hammer again? Or it's like, because he want that's the story he wants to tell like that's it may not be your cup of tea that's fine but like it's the story that he wants to tell so i think it's great i think it's really really just impressive how kate's has felt like how the transition has felt from uh how natural it feels from Aaron to Kate's when it comes to those two thor interpretations it does you know it has bugged me that they kind of got rid of everything at the end of Aaron's run but hopefully it's you know it's all leading to something but I've been enjoying it so far can't wait to pick this up but the big book of the week the book I think you should absolutely be picking up probably to the surprise of no one is Superman 78 number one ah it's here it's here i'm so stoked um written by robert venditti with art by wilfredo torres i've been waiting for this book i cannot cannot absolutely cannot wait to pick this book up this week i am over the moon about this it's diving back into the reeves era telling new stories from that 
from that world, from that universe. And I am just, ugh, ugh, Wednesday can't come soon enough as I'm recording this. But um, yeah, so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Fly into director Richard Donner's Superman once more in Superman 78. Written by Robert Venditti and drawn by Wilfredo Torres. Superman 78 tells a brand new adventure in the world of the beloved film. A bright shining day in Metropolis is interrupted by a mysterious drone that crash lands in the city and starts wreaking havoc. This looks like a job for Superman. But where did the metallic menace come from? What is its purpose and who is Brainiac? I love this so much. Um, Brainiac is one of my favorite Superman villains. I love that they're going the Super Friends route with his design. Um, I just, I can't wait to pick this up. I've been anticipating this. This has been a book that I've been really looking forward to all year, and I cannot wait to read it. But that does it for this giant-sized uh comics countdown lots of books to talk about let's go ahead and recap we have superman versus lobo number one teen titans academy number six wonder woman number seven seven eight batman superman number 21 wonder girl number three infinite frontier number five action comics number 1034 strange academy number 12 robin number five united states of captain america number three superman son of kal-el number two spider-man life story annual number one detective comics number 1042 thor number 16 and super Superman 78, number one. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. Ratings, reviews, subscriptions really do help me out, really helps the podcast out, kind of raises our stock in the podcasting space and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you you we drop new episodes every single wednesday and i love 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 when people tell me that they have gotten a new listener thanks to word of mouth or just kind of sharing something that you like about the podcast so warms my heart genuinely does so thank you so much to everyone who does uh kind of get the word out about this podcast it's still you know we're still a relatively small podcast even though we are uh almost at 200 episodes that gives me like huge anxiety but also really makes me happy so um i love the community we've kind of um curated here i love every single person that decides to take the time to listen to these episodes means a lot to me also if you give us a five star rating and review on apple podcasts itunes whatever you want to call it i will read your review here live on the podcast you can join the likes of our almost dirty dozen that including seafire nd josh from panels to pixels matt draper burrito man 88 doug from for every kind of geek don swanson that guy brian mouth dork dallas meeks amazing spider fan and a lock and az i want to say a big thank you to all of these fine folks for their review and i cannot wait to hear yours also if you want to be part of our geek explain mailbag if you have a question for me you want to get my take on something maybe a quick pitch or even some references or some referrals for maybe something we haven't uh, covered on the podcast yet if you want me to recommend something i love recommending comics it 
fills me with joy, uh, you can email me. Feel free to email the podcast to uh, send all of your emails to geeksplain at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read your email here on the podcast. Like our good brother, Dallas Taylor, who wrote in, always good to hear from Dallas. Uh, also, subscribe to his podcast. Him, Alexis, and uh, Carol Ann do a wonderful job over on the Comics Collective. Uh, they're wonderful. They're a great, great group. Their podcast is so much fun. Do yourself a favor. Subscribe to them. But Dallas writes, I recently convinced my wife to watch the 2010 Coen Brothers remake of True Grit, a great movie if you haven't seen it, and now I'm dying to know, do you have any favorite westerns? Are there any western comics that have really spoken to you? What do you think of shows like The Mandalorian sneakily bringing back the western genre? As always, thanks for the amazing show, Dallas Taylor. Thank you so much for writing in, Dallas. Uh, Westerns are a are one of my favorite genres. I love them to death. Um, I grew up on a lot of westerns, and where I lived for most of my life in uh, Arizona, westerns were all the rage. Uh, in my town in Tucson, there is a subtown called Old Tucson, which is this western town that's built on in, out in the desert over the mountains, um, where they filmed uh, such wonderful movies like Tombstone. Uh, it's a great place, so westerns are a big part of my upbringing and a big part of my life, and I think appropriately, one of my favorite genres. So Westerns that I really enjoy, any kind of iteration of The Magnificent Seven is my jam. I love it so much. Um, yes, it's a blatant ripoff of Seven Samurai, which I also love and adore, but I just can't get enough of Seven Misfits coming together for a mission. I love that kind of story. Um, I also enjoy Shane. Shane is a really sad Western, <laughs> but it's always good. The Clint Eastwood movies are fantastic. True Grit, like he mentioned, especially the, the first version of True Grit I saw was the 2010 Coen Brothers version in theaters. Um, it was, it's, it's a great movie. It is a fantastic movie. I really do enjoy it. Uh, 310 to Yuma is also a great one I would recommend. And then you can't go wrong with the gold standard for Westerns, Back to the Future Part 3. Uh, just really solid Western storytelling, and I will not take any kind of slander against that. Um, but yeah, Westerns, I'm a big fan of. I've always dug them. I just like the idea of them. Uh, when it comes to comics, uh, there's not a whole lot of Western comics that I have gotten into. I don't know, maybe if, if it's just like a, um, if it's just like a translation issue from screen to comics, but I've never really found a Western run that I've fallen in, that I've fallen in love with. There are uh, comics that I would recommend if you're a fan of Westerns. Uh, the Dark Tower Westerns are great. Um, those comics are direct adaptations from the books, and they feature some amazing, amazing art uh, by Jai Lee. It's so freaking good. And then uh, East of West by Jonathan Hickman. If you're a big Hickman fan, uh, if you enjoy his stuff, East of West is a post-apocalyptic Western set in the U.S. Uh, let me see here. Um, reading off of the Image Comics website, this is how they describe it, right? And I think it's perfect. So it says, The things that divide us are stronger than the things that unite us. A sci-fi Western set in a dystopian America where all hope for the future rests in the four horsemen of the apocalypse, who just happen to 
to be trying to kill the President of the United States. It's weird, it's sci-fi, it's that wonderful blend of sci-fi and western. Uh, all of the Jonathan Hickman sci-fi weirdness is really brought together by the amazing art by Nick Dragota. Um, it's just so good. It's wonderful. I would definitely recommend it. It is very Jonathan Hickman, so it's very heady. Um, takes a little while to really get going, but once it does, hoo boy, it is great. So uh, that those are kind of the comics I would recommend. Um, and then like little stuff here and there. Little uh, I really enjoyed. I think it was eighteen oh two the uh, the Marvel eighteen oh two stuff. Um, both like the Secret Wars and wherever that's kind of popped up. I dig stuff like that. Um, there's also been little Western stuff here and there. Anytime Jonah Hex pops up, it's always a good time. But when it comes to Westerns kind of being seeded into like comic book properties, like the Mandalorian, or not comic book properties, but like pop culture properties, uh, but including comic book properties, uh, Mandalorian, Logan, uh, stuff like that. I love it. I dig Westerns, and I I think we need to get more, like, space Western stuff. We need to get more comic book Western stuff. Um, having stuff like The Mandalorian, having stuff like Firefly, this stuff is important. And it's, you know, maybe I'm, I'm in the minority here, but I really dig the idea of taking uh, Westerns and really kind of seeding them into different stuff. Um, Star-Lord is a character who can slide into a Western very easily. Um, all of the Wastelander stuff is very Western-esque. Um, Old Man Logan, the original series, is very Western-esque. Um, Old Man Hawkeye is also very Western-esque. Um, really just all the old man comics. Uh, but I, I dig it. I would love to see more, um, more, uh, more usage of the Western genre, especially as the like comic book and other geek culture starts to look for new ways to refresh how they present their material to audiences. I think going in and making, you know, these films genre films with kind of the trappings of superhero films, that's what worked with The Dark Knight, with it being a crime film with Batman trappings. Um, that's why people remember stuff like that. And I think that we should get more comic book westerns and more space westerns and just more westerns in general, for my sense. But... Um, yeah, so that is my uh, that is my Western recommendation. Thank you again to Good Brother Dallas for uh, writing in. And again, if you want to write in, if you want to be part of this Geeksplain mailbag, feel free to write to geeksplain at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here. Finally, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you want to participate in polls that decide future episodes, want to get the first uh, notification that a new episode has dropped other than subscribing on your podcasting platform, I always post up links there. Or if you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. That's at P-O-D. I'm much more active on Twitter than I am on Instagram. I'm trying to fix that, but but juggling uh, social media is not my strong suit. I am an old man, and I don't know how I can communicate that to everyone, but I'm still learning this, you know, this 
darn fangled discord thing i'm still learning how to do that so i am a very old man <laughs> but if you do follow us on uh on twitter i'm pretty active on there and like i said um when new episodes drop uh if you if you aren't subscribed to the podcast which you should um i will drop links to uh links to those episodes on twitter as well and every so often i put up polls that uh will either decide future episodes or decide different directions for the cha- for the uh for the podcast to go so yeah geek explained pod that's geek explained p-o-d but that is going to do it for this week's episode a long episode our first giant sized episode in a while i want to thank you very much for sticking it out to the end with me on this i love talking to matt he's wonderful we just recently got him to his hundred patrons goal so now he's going to be participating in spawn timber very excited for him make sure you go check out his youtube channel he's wonderful um he's just he's the best and i love having him on and if you want if you enjoy having him on the podcast let me know because it's always good having him on if if i could have him on for every week i would but uh that is going to do it for this week's episode tune in next week for the gosh the first episode of september episode 175 that's crazy to me uh episode 175 will officially kick us off on the road to 200 so tune in next wednesday for that same geek time same geek channel but for now for geek explain this is eric azana thank you very much for listening stay safe and we will see you next time Gravity and bridges left to burn